Hello! <laughs> and welcome back to the Logan and Jake Take podcast. It's been a minute since last we spoke. Uh, Logan, how was your week, sir? Oh, God. Um, it's been a good week. It's been a good week. Uh, nothing new, really, just working in general, getting ready for the big transition to the next job, and uh, watching various movies and television shows. Yeah, uh, uh, sort of same, um, you know, just been relaxing, enjoying the summer. Um, I think on the last podcast, I talked about how uh, Savannah and I went out of town for a week, enjoyed that. Um, yeah, this week has been good. Got to do some things we haven't done in a while. Some things and stuff. Uh, we got to partake. Relax. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, we got to partake of uh, the Vortex in Midtown. Indeed. Uh, it was great. Uh, Forgot how delicious that food was. Um, yeah, uh, we, we also ate some hibachi meats this week. Uh, that was how expensive. That how expensive that was. Uh, yeah, we've had a pretty good week. Um, we uh, we've been back to the gym. Mm-hmm. You know, try to get some gains. Yeah, that's just it's always gains o'clock, it's right? Not always gains o'clock. <laughs> not in this not. Georgia heat. Uh, Dude, <laughs> no, that's the big story. It's just been crazy hot yeah, for so, the last like week and a half. Uh, it's literally so. For those of you who are listening uh, in other states or uh, around the globe. Um, it has been a literally record-setting heat wave uh, across much of the southeastern United States. Um, I think they said this week, uh, like yesterday and today, uh, it's so hot that there's not really a historical precedent for it. Unprecedented times. A phrase that we've been hearing a lot the last, what, two years? Right. But it continues. And this time... For, for worse, it's it's too hot. It's too well, hot. Well, we are inside, to peel back the curtain a little bit, we are inside, and it is just... We have fans going, we have the AC on full blast. It's just, it's just like, it's just too much heat. I genuinely feel for people who the AC units have been going out, because the AC units have been going out all over the state, apparently. Uh, they, and a lot of the places that fix those things are just backed up and short-staffed, so... Uh, if you are elderly, young, or know anybody who is elderly, young, or, you know, just you yourself, if you don't have to go outside, don't. Get Try to my, stay cool. Stay get, hydrated. Put, drink lots of look, water. If your AC goes out, drink water, put a bunch of box fans in all of the windows, take go a lot hold of... hold up at an IHOP for a couple of hours. Yeah, yeah, go hang out with somebody who has AC for most of the day. At night, cut those box fans on. Take like a couple of different cold showers. Run some cold water. Get you some ice packs. You know, just cold compresses. Yeah, like uh, just embrace as much cool as you can get because this is just not a good time. Be safe out there, folks. But uh, yeah, uh, a lot. I've joked for years that uh, I've got to live my life right because I can't do hell. And uh, this this weather is further proof that. I can't do hell, bro. Just a tiny preview. I, a little teaser trailer for hell. Dude, it, I think the gates of hell are slowly spilling over into the south, which is funny because it's the Bible Belt. 
so um, the highlight of this week uh, for me um, was that on Tuesday we went to the Vortex for lunch and then we got to uh, thanks to the, the, the power and the magic I, I was of Regal, Indeed. Uh, we were able to go to an early access screening of Elvis. Um, it was uh, a great experience. Of course, we're going to be deep dive, full spoiler reviewing the movie a little later. Um, but it, it was a great day. It was good, it was good to be in Atlantic Station again. Um, I genuinely love that movie theater and that uh, location in general. It was a it was a nice time. Uh, enjoyed enjoyed everything. Enjoyed enjoyed uh, enjoyed. It, it was technically dinner because we didn't eat again. Yeah, so I enjoyed dinner. Uh, enjoyed the film and and the it was next a good time, time. The next time we're up there, there's a delicious ice cream shop that's around there somewhere that I forgot the name to. It's wonderful. We need to go. They've got a bunch of various different flavors. You'll love it. I promise you. Ten nice. out of ten. Speaking of ice cream, uh, something that I've never had that I'd like to try, gelato. It's good. Like it's, to have that. It's, never, it's, never had it. Sweeter. It's good stuff. Um, I, and I'd like to try to as as much as possible have like authentic gelato. Uh, I don't know mm. where would be a good place to do that, but I'm sure there are some places. In Italy. Well, I mean, I know that, but I'm sure there are some Italian people around here who have a restaurant who make gelato. Possibly. I look into it. Had to figure out where they're at. Any um, tasty Italian food, I'm down. So, uh, this heat's not conducive to pasta. It's really not. (laughs) Actually, uh, Savannah and I went to Olive Garden, I'll say like last week, and it was on point. But man, I was like, I shouldn't have done this. It's too hot. Um, so, uh, yeah, a lot of of cool stuff. I saw, uh, Lightyear. I'm gonna talk about that. Mm. Um, I'm not saying I need to watch that. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna just, I, I won't go like into a deep dive since you haven't seen it. But I'll share my thoughts on that. Uh, we will do a, a, a nice discussion of um, how we feel that Obi-Wan uh, wrapped up its inaugural season because we are hoping and praying and believing for a season two. Um, so episodes five and six have aired since last we recorded. So we'll talk about those. Um, had a pretty strong finale, I think. Um, yep. Yep. I, I would argue an essential hour of Star Wars viewing, if you are a hardcore Star Wars fan. Um, so yeah. The question now, Logan, no matter what your take is, it's going to be hot by default in this heat. Yeah, but do you have every, any quick takes take is or hot. hot takes? Uh, I believe so. One second, let me pull up my notes. Uh, let's see here. Last week, we did, okay, we've done favorite songs there. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, <clears throat> there are no hot takes besides the fact that it's hot. It's unbearable. I hate it. I want to move somewhere else. Preferably somewhere cold year-round. I have one hot take. All right. Uh, McAllister, McAllister's Deli does not slap. Doesn't slap. Doesn't slap. No, uh, good lemonade, though. Good lemonade, a little pricey for me. Um, not great for the price you pay. So that's no fault of any employees of McAllister's per se. Just did not slap. It's a quick preview of uh, the, one of the upcoming projects we've got, the Logan and Jake takeout. Uh, but yeah, it. you know, I didn't like the Reuben. 
it, not enough sauerkraut. The, the it's what it, it is what it is. Uh, so the quick take, <clears throat> you and I, more so you in regards to history, but both fans of history and mythology. You would agree? Uh, yes. Our quick take for the week, for the day, for the month of June. It's only the month of June if we don't do another episode this month, but we will. So, where do you draw the line between history and mythology? Because history as we know it at the moment, a lot of it, like, anything like, specifically American history, like, it felt like George Washington, the Nina, Marina, and Cinemary, all that crap with the ships, all the people that came over from England and various other countries. That's history. Eventually, though, just due to the passage of time, if the world goes on long enough, I feel like even though we know it as history now, a lot of people will be like, yeah, but did any of that really happen? So what I'm asking you is, where do we... Because, like, you know, back in the day, like, people believed in Greek gods and all of that shit, but now, a couple, you know, thousand years later, we're all like, yeah, no, that's all a bunch of fooey that people believe in, and it's mythology. So, how long do you think it takes for stuff that is, you know, historical to become mythological in a sense? Okay, so those are two different questions. So, like, where, where do I draw the line between history and mythology? I have one answer. Mm-hmm. And how long do I think it takes for something to become mythology or even mythicized uh, I have a separate answer this is quite possibly the best of the quick takes so far in my opinion it's what this I is, do, is a really man. interesting question it's what I do okay so uh, amateur historian of course some of you may be familiar with my other podcast um, I'm not going to plug it here because if you know you know um, so Okay, so for me, that's a complicated question, but to the first part, but basically for me, for something to be considered history, it does kind of have to line up with certain historical criteria. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of one key element of that would be uh, multiple independent attestations. So there would have to be like multiple different sources of information concerning that event or similar event with those people or similar people mm-hmm. uh, that did not know each other, did not have a cross-pollination or cultural syncretism mm-hmm. with each other to where one could have borrowed from the other. That would be one. Um, if we have a lot of surviving documents in which people, places, and events are witnessed, um if we have some sort of leftover evidence of it um, through archaeology or we have some sort of evidence through um, literature, what, whatever, there are certain cr- criteria that professional historians and academics use to determine if something probably happened in history. Mm-hmm. So that's where I would draw the line. It's like, so when we start talking about something... Um, what do the professional historians say about Greek mythology? Well, there are, of course, different opinions, but a lot of them say that these stories, even at the time, were not believed literally by the Greeks. They were always, mm-hmm. for a large portion of Greek history, believed 
to be just stories. Now, they might have at a certain point believed in the gods, but they but they knew they were reading stories about the gods, not mm-hmm. factual, you know what I mean? So that would be how I would answer that. Mm-hmm. The second one, though, which was how long does it take for something to become mythicized or like a mythology? Not long at all. Because I would say within, like, Jesus of Nazareth died, I want to say, like, around the year 33. The first gospel was written about 40 years later. And just between the two, you have lots of things that people said about Jesus that... And I'm not getting into, like, religion or anything, but, like, you have lots of things that people said that we know could not historically have been true. And so I would say a lot of things became mythicized or the beginnings of mythology as early as, like, just a couple of years after the events. So, like, looking in modern history... Let's take any controversial news headline mm-hmm. and just ask people, like, right after it happened, ask a hundred people to write a one-page account of what happened. Okay? You're going to get a hundred different stories. So, they cannot all be true. Now, th- those different perspectives can each offer a different piece of the story, mm-hmm. but there's no way that they would not uh, contradict each other. That's not possible. So, at the the first mo- point of contradiction from reality to the first person contradicting what happened, mm-hmm. you've begun the process of mythology. Mm-hmm. Now, when does it become a mythology as in like a religion or a belief system? I would say that that probably takes a little longer, but still we've seen not very long because L. Ron Hubbard lived like within the last century and Scientology existed during his lifetime of course because he founded it but there are things that Scientologists believe about L. Ron Hubbard that very quickly came to be taught just very quickly after he died Mm -hmm. Um, I think you could say that about almost any religious figure Um, but taking it out of the realm of that and just in the strictest sense of what mythology means, or the strictest sense of, like, something not being true, um, that people have come to believe wholeheartedly, it doesn't take any time at all. If you go outside right now and you save somebody from being mugged because you are an upstanding individual and you're like, you know what? Not gonna let that poor lady be mugged. Say you did that, right? There's too much... You got too many Superman ideals about you. You just not gonna stand by and let it happen. But you gonna swing on somebody, okay? If I saw that, and then like I was like, oh my god, and then Logan just beat the crap out of the dude, but really all you did was just kind of like give him a one hit combo, and then he fled. Right. I have already begun to mythologize what happened. Right. So, pretty quick. Okay. I like that that one. That was a good one, bro. You you gave me a softball. I've been been known to have my moments. You know me well enough to know that, like, 
if you get me started on a subject I know a little bit about, I can be quite articulate. Indeed. See, I appreciate the softball. No problem. I got you. Um, I As far as the historical stuff goes, I feel like I like history, but I'm not into history as much as you are, so I don't have like a, like a quick take on that. But as you know, I am a fan of mythology um, of various different sorts. I love Greek, Egyptian... Uh, Celtic mythology. Celtic mythology is some really interesting stuff. It's difficult for me to get into it a lot, though, because I cannot pronounce most of the names. Um, they're, they're very difficult names. Um, also, Aztec mythology. Can't pronounce a single one of those, except for... Nope, I'm not even going to try it. Um, but I do think that a lot of the stuff that we enjoy just as a society, specifically around, like, movies, I do think that eventually possibly thousands or hundreds of thousands of years from now, depending on how long the human race makes it, uh, I do think that people will hear about it. Because I don't think we're going to... There won't be movies in the way that we know them right. thousands of years from now. So people will hear about the masses going into like a room and watching moving, moving stories on like a giant wall and they'll be like, the hell is that all about? Right. Um... And I think the best example of that we have, and it's why I love them so much, comic books. Yeah. Comic books are the closest thing we have to, like, ancient mythology. It's and contemporary mythology, it, exactly. for sure. Because, like, everything, all the stories you get from mythology... Specifically get, sort of an American mythology. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I think, like, in a couple thousand years, like... Especially since we have movies of these characters and we have, like, various forms of literature with, like, hundreds and hundreds of stories. I think that, like, future civilizations will view our love of comic books and pop culture as the mythology of our day. Right. So, like... Because I... They... The names might get lost and they might get rearranged, but, like, people will hear stories of, like, the just... That, well, they'll hear the stories that we told about the Justice League and the Avengers and stuff, and they'll be like, oh, this must be what the people back in, like, starting in 1940s throughout the 2000s and stuff believed were, like, actual gods and stuff. Like, because you... you best case example, you've got the character of Superman. Superman is a, is a messianic uh, figure. Right. He, he's based off of Moses and Jesus. Um, and then, like, one of his greatest villains is Darkseid, who is basically like a version of the devil and then you've got the Avengers and you've got like Thanos, Ultron you've got all of these, I mean, hell, Loki because they went hard with it in the Loki show I mean, you know, Loki could be viewed as like the devil I mean, he's the trickster god you know, Lucifer tricked Adam and Eve into eating the fruit he's got a, like a giant horn helmet and right. everything so like it's not that far of a leap to be like oh, these are just their like these were their religions the reason that there are different stories is because like there are just different branches of the religion and then people in some areas refer to those characters as this and then people in other areas refer to those characters as that. I, I think it would be very interesting and if I had a time machine, that would be, I would go so like so far into the future to see like if any of these stories survived and if they did survive, what people thought about it, were they like, okay, this is just a form of like entertainment for these people or like See if they think that we thought that, like, 
they we were just telling stories around the campfire about the gods, as it were. Because let's be right. honest, like watching a movie in a movie theater is literally just like the new age version of sitting around a campfire telling stories. Exactly what it is. And I mean, so the, the people in TV land can't see us, of course, but we're sitting next to a uh, one of those like uh, I don't even know what you call that, like a, uh, like a coffee stand or something. And there are these mugs that have the icons of Batman and Superman on them. Yeah. And symbols or memes, and I, and I don't mean memes like the way we use memes now on the internet, but like memes in general, like images, expressions, thoughts that capture, I guess, the zeitgeist if, uh, of a culture or whatever, mm-hmm. those things outlast the culture themselves. Yeah. And so I think it's entirely plausible that if humanity survives hundreds of years or thousands of years in the future, someone will uncover these images of the bat symbol and the, and, and the house of L symbol, they will uncover like an image of Darth Vader. They will mm-hmm. uncover a lightsaber. Um, they will uncover Mickey Mouse. And they will have to work to put together um, what these things meant. Now, hopefully, we keep better records, of course through the internet and things than our ancestors kept. So hopefully even thousands of years from now, people will be able to still access those. But maybe these stories... Even if they could, though, language is such a fickle thing. It changes eventually. You go far enough into the future, it changes a lot. So maybe people will look at these things as like their versions of like the Epic of Gilgamesh. And, yeah. And, you know, uh, and certainly in a few hundred years, like, sh- it's out. It's like our... It's like Shakespeare, you know. I, I don't know, but, like, I do think that's an interesting point you raise, and I, and I think, interestingly enough, talking about things that survive and have a legacy and a legend and become mythologized, that does fit in nicely with the theme of this episode mm-hmm. about Elvis, because... There might not be another celebrity in the modern era that has more mythology surrounding him than Elvis, mm-hmm. or more, you know, just almost instant myth-making. Yeah. Um, it works with Obi-Wan, too, though, because I feel like Star Wars at this point is a religion unto itself, and people have different... I am indeed a Jedi, Logan. No, no you're not. Uh, <laughs> um, people have like different beliefs on what Star Wars is, what it should be, the stories that should be told, the way characters should be acting. What happened versus what didn't really happen. Right. We call that the canon debate. Exactly, exactly. Like You've got the entirety of the expanded universe, so you've got all of that, which is, which is now officially referred to like the... The old, the old EU is referred to as so Star Wars Legends. Legends. So, it, they're not saying that it didn't happen. They're just saying it might not have happened that way that you think it did. These so are, that they could then later on go back and, like, if they wanted to, pluck stuff from the Legends and then create their own interpretation, which would then be the actual. Which, honestly, if I was in charge, I would just do, like an animated Star Wars like series where like people are just going around like once again the campfire 
telling various EU legend stories. Right, because then you and could, then you you could, could do just be the like, Thrawn yeah, that didn't stuff. actually happen. Yeah, that way. you could do the Thrawn trilogy. You could yeah. do the you could do all the uh, the you Revan, could do the new Jedi Academy, the, yeah, Revan, Jedi, Bane. Yeah. It yeah, yeah, yeah. And could it do, doesn't you can it get doesn't some of directly the contradict stuff. anything because you're because you're establishing that these are just stories being told by other people. Yeah. So. Well, I was hoping that you know. Disney Plus has that show Star Wars Visions, mm-hmm. uh, which is interesting because uh, it's like you know a bunch of anime creators or whatever do like different episodes and yeah. they're just original stories. I can't wait for the one we're gonna get about uh, Jedi Knight Dooku with Padawan Qui Gon. Uh, yeah, that's, that is gonna be that's good. That, what, what are they calling that show? I don't remember. Um, uh, I'll look it up. I th- and then they're also doing something. Uh, a live action show called The Skeleton Crew with Jude Law. What? Oh, you didn't hear about that? No. Yeah, so they're doing another live action show called Star Wars The Skeleton Crew and Jude Law is attached to Star. Is it... So it's live action? Yeah. I can't wait. Yeah, it lo- I mean, it, it sounds cool. Um, but yeah, so... I, yeah, I really like that. That hot take. That's a, Or that quick take. That's a... That one we got some mileage out of. Oh, it's called Tales of the Jedi. Yes, Tales of the Jedi. I can't wait. My people. My religion. No. My creed. No. Although, technically, you can classify yourself as a Jedi when you're, like, filling out shit for the census. So. Which I appreciate. It's a religion. Um, uh, although, I noticed that there's no Sith on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I, yeah, I really enjoyed um, that discussion. That was... That was yeah. And I do think it ties nicely into everything else we're going to talk about. Um, so yeah, uh, I I saw Lightyear, um, and uh, it, it's interesting because Lightyear. Don't worry, I'm not going to go too far into this, but uh, we know that there was like for some reason controversy about Lightyear, and when I saw the movie, I'm like, I don't even get why anyone was mad. But um, I'm watching it, and the first thing I notice is it says in 1995. By the way, full spoilers for Lightyear. Uh, I'm not gonna go in like a long rant about it, but but I might accidentally spoil stuff. So um, it, the screen is black, and it says in 1995, uh, a boy named Andy receives a Buzz Lightyear doll uh, for his birthday. This doll was based on a character from his favorite movie. This is that movie. So then it tells you, okay, that's what th- that establishes. This is what Lightyear is. It is a movie. It, it is Andy from Toy Story's favorite movie. Um, so, of course, Buzz Lightyear is just a toy um, based off of a real character from this... Well, not real. A character in this movie. So, um, first off... The movie's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not spectacular. Um, I can see how, you know, a child such as Andy in 1995 might have thought this movie was lit. Real um, quick, so then if Lightyear is a movie that Andy watched and it's his favorite movie, does that mean that Buzz Lightyear of Star Command, the cartoon, is just a cartoon that Andy watched? I think so. I'm mad at it. I think so. I'm mad at it. Now... Hmm. Uh, if if that's the case, 
that TV show greatly contradicted the movie. But Bro, it was the nineties. It was the nineties. It was the nineties. Um, I thought the movie had a decent message about like like everything else, the power of love and friendship, right? I mean, it's the greatest it, uh, it, it, the greatest weapon against evil. Learning to believe in yourself. Mm. Um, Buzz is very like. So how you know how the cartoon Buzz like, or the, the toy Buzz is very confident mm-hmm. in his abilities. This Buzz, not so much. He realizes that he's made some mistakes, and his mistakes have humbled him. And he really wants to be the Buzz Lightyear that everyone like knows that he was at one point when he was a famous space ranger. Mm-hmm. But because of some things he does towards the beginning of the movie they are stranded on a planet and they can't get off of it. So Buzz has to, you know, try to get them off of the planet. And by the end, through his conflict with, uh, you know, the evil Emperor Zerg, um, you come to realize that, like, Buzz realizes he has found a family and all he really needs where he's at. And it would be selfish for him to leave when he does have an opportunity to do so, and that's all I'll say about it, because I don't want to, I don't want to spoil all of that. Um, in case there are some people that would still like to go see the movie, I know Toy Story is a franchise that a lot of people in our age range do do care about. So I won't go too deep into that, other than to say, if you've seen the movie, you know the twist uh, with the villain, and personally, and I'm just sort of being tongue in cheek here. If I had been Buzz, I would have listened to the villain and perhaps taken their advice. So is it an instance of just because he's a bad guy doesn't mean he's a bad guy? Yeah, he's not really a bad guy. Mm. He is willing to do some bad things um, if it means accomplishing his goal. But like, it was a completely understandable and rela- relatable goal. His goal was not his goal was not to harm anybody. If he had to harm somebody to accomplish his end goal, so he it. would do it. Right, but that's not what he was attempting to do. Fair. Um, which that makes for an Honestly, interesting villain. Yeah, I was about to say that makes for an interesting villain because the best villains are always the ones who like. I'm not that they're not bad guys, but it's the ones who like have a goal and they have a justifiable reason for wanting to do that and they've been driven to the act of villainy out of a desperation to accomplish that goal. To some extent, now he is definitely definitely way more evil than the bad guy in Lightyear, but to some extent that's why I like the villain in Lost. Mm. Because he does have a goal. Mm-hmm. It is understandable. And at first, anyway, he Before he not... becomes what he becomes, yes. he has every... And at, we can spoil this. It's been on TV for years. Spoiler alert for Lost, so if you have not finished all six seasons of Lost, skip ahead. gone like and skip ahead. Alright. All right. So, like, when the man in black, who I lovingly refer to as Chaz... Uh, is a human being. He has every right to leave that island. 
there's no reason he shouldn't. And because he realizes that his mother's not really his, his mother. His mother was a lying dog face pony soldier, I'll tell I you that. I hate that trick. Uh, I don't even blame him for killing her. Like, should he have killed his mom? And I put, you can't see me, but there's air quotes around that. Because she's not his mom. And I will not give her the whole she raised them. No, you raised them because you killed, killed their, their actual mother. mother. Yeah. You're a trash, not even human being. You're a trash, bullshit, black cloud monster. I was like, I, Allison Janney knows better than this. You disgust me. She's been, she, I was like, you've been better than this. <laughs> but no, so I, I don't... President judge- Jedediah Bartlett would be so ashamed of ashamed. you, CJ. Uh, I do not blame him for killing her in in that rageful moment. I don't necessarily blame Jacob for the way he responds to it because Jacob of the two was the loving, loyal soldier. So, like, he just did what mommy said to do. Uh, Him being upset is not the problem. Him then beating his brother's ass isn't even the problem. But him throwing his brother into the waterfall of electromagnetism being like... (laughs) <laughs> this is what you deserve. And then his brother... Him turning his brother into the smoke monster is his fault. Yes. That is 100% his fault. Him being like, I understand that's my fault, but I cannot let you leave this island because there's no telling what you could do to the outside world. I agree with that's him. That's just that. owning up to your mistakes. That is, that is him taking accountability for his actions. The black smoke monster being like, I've been stuck on this island for thousands of years and it's your fault, is true. Him going through like all of the steps to get off that island, they are understandable. They are bad they are bad actions, but I understand why he does it. That being said, he an evil some bitch. And when he was like, I'ma kill all y'all and I'ma get off this island, I was like, we need to put him down. But My favorite line that he says in that whole series is when he was like, soon this will all be over. I'll get everything I want. And when I do, I'm going to kill your daughter. And then my second, favorite, <laughs> my second favorite line is when he's like, John Locke wasn't right about anything, Jack. And when this island dropped to the bottom of the ocean and you drop with it, you're going to see how wrong he was. Shit was so it was so, so disrespectful. disrespectful. And I love when Jack, uh, this is in the, I, I think it's in the final episode, or it might not be. No, it's the episode where they get on the submarine where Sun and Jen survived. Um, <laughs> where he's like, <laughs> <laughs> they live, they live, damn it. Me, me, me. There is no Saeed. <laughs> oh, oh Saeed got blown the fuck up. But when Jack is like, you're not John Law. And your face betrays the memory of him. I was like, yeah. you disrespect his memory by wearing his face, but you nothing like him. I love that moment because I, I've said for years that the relationship between Jack and John Locke, a, a lot like a lot of things in pop culture, would be us if we did not know how to communicate with each other. And you would be the one who's like, no, bro, we gotta stay on this island. There's a reason. You just gotta believe. And shut the fuck up. <laughs> See what I did there? Just slithered right in. For all my wrestling fans, you'll catch that one. Um, and I would be the one like, no, we leaving. I, I, I want to go home. No, full damn well, there's no reason for me to be going home. It's not an island. It's a place where miracles happen. And I'd have been like, we leaving, and we, bro, 
I'd have gotten us because I'd have been with Naomi and the group of people, and we'd have we'd have radioed for help. Then you'd have thrown the Bowie knife dead in her back, and I'd have looked at you like, "I'm gonna kill you." But then. Once I get off the island and my life falls completely apart and I realize that you're right, I would do everything in my power to get back. And then when I see you dead, I'd be like, <laughs> it's all my fault. But then if I got back to the island and I saw there was some evil looking motherfucker who was wearing your face, spouting all the bullshit, which is in the exact opposition of everything you were telling me, I would take that personally. And then I would fight him on a mountainside get stabbed dead in my side, whoop his ass, and Spartan kick him off. And then I would plug the cork back on the electromagnetism so that the world isn't destroyed. Because that's what you gotta do sometimes. That's exactly what you gotta do. And then I would look at whoever would be Desmond in that situation and be like, see you in another life, brother. And it's okay, because later, you would in fact see me in another life. Indeed. But not team. because we were dead the whole time. It's not because, because we. No, it's just because you went to a, all of us. All like of our spirits met up in like a weird limbo purgatory area where we could all meet up with each other again because we were the most important people people in each other's lives. Because what happened on the island happened. And, and, and look, whether we go on to heaven together or whether we just all reincarnate, look, it some, doesn't really matter. Some of us gonna go to heaven. Uh, others of us, like Saeed, gonna bust hell wide open. <laughs> you found you gonna sit there in your shirt of white linen and tell me that Saeed Jarrah went to heaven? That man was a torturer, and he shot a twelve-year-old boy in the gut. Hello, Benjamin. And he got you know he he might not have gotten he might not have gone to hell, Thanks but he for the sandwiches. <laughs> he got reincarnated. As Jafar and uh, Once Upon a Time in which Wonderland, is worse which hell. is a fate worse than hell. So you know what? He got what he deserved. Right, <laughs> Oh, Lord have mercy. It's always fun to go on a lost rant. I'm not entirely sure how we got on it, but uh, it's always fun to talk about I don't about know. Lost. I don't know how we got there. Uh, yeah, so uh, if you, if you uh, have not watched Lost, um, yeah. Do that. Need to, need to correct that. All that to say Lightyear. It's a good movie. Yes, Lightyear was a decent movie. Um, I mean, there's no reason why the kids wouldn't find it funny. There's an adorable, like, uh, robotic cat that is very useful. Um, yeah, saw the trailer for Puss in Boots 2. Still need to watch the that. Light, the, like, little cat that pops up and goes, oh. You mean the best character yes. in that first movie? It, uh, it, it makes a triumphant return in the trailer. Uh, they have missed out by not putting that cat in like every DreamWorks animated movie. Yeah, I agree. Like, I can't even really name a DreamWorks movie that's come out in recent years. But like, just imagine that that cat pops up in a movie and after somebody says something ridiculous and is like, oh, I, I'd watch the movie just for that. So like, uh, neither of us are big fans of like the Minion, <laughs> Minion stuff, but I did see the trailer for Minions Rise of Gru. And there's a scene at the end of the trailer where, like, uh, like two of the uh, minions are, like, flying a plane or whatever. Is it Bob? Yeah, and, like, one of them is, like, flying the plane. And, like, another one comes in. He's all disheveled and messed up. And he's got, like, something all over him. Is it the short, the, fat one that's, like, really round? The short one is the one that's got stuff all over him I or think whatever. that one's Kevin. And so, like, Bob, I guess, is the one that's flying. And, uh, like... 
Bob looks at him and sees that, like, Kevin is all messed up, and he's like, ha-ha, and, like, this had me rolling. Kevin is like, no, no, ha-ha. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, I, I died laughing. There were little kids looking at me, and I was, uh, like, I was like, you stay in your lane. These are for you. Eat your fruit snacks. <laughs> I'd have literally been like, why y'all in this Lightyear movie does not fool you? Um, but, yeah, that was a... Uh, oh, um... Another thing I wanted to talk about before we get too far into the episode, after we're like forty minutes in already, <laughs> um, we haven't we haven't talked about this because we haven't done an episode in like two weeks. Game of Thrones sequel with our boy John. Oh my gosh, how did we forget, fam? We are winning. So yeah, so uh, for those who haven't heard, um, we we all know there's a lot of Game of Thrones media and development that George Martin keeps working on besides. Besides the two books that he needs The books he needs to finish. Bro, how is he working on a series, a a sequel series, with a main character, and he hasn't even finished the books? It's interesting because he said said in an interview the other day that um, fans have become vicious towards him online about not finishing the books, and I'm like... Well, that's because the the last book came out the year the first season of the TV show did. We haven't been any it's more been vicious than your, uh, than your writer's block. It's been 11 like, years, Jake. Yeah, so... I was 21 years old when that book came out. I'm not even in my 20s anymore. Yeah, um... So, while George Martin is, like... I don't know what he's doing, like, playing Tetris and eating Nacho Mountains. What, whatever it is he's doing besides working on the books. Like... The HBO was hard at work. He helping craft Elden Ring was what he was doing. HBO was like, look, Disney Plus, they got like the the MCU series, they got Star Wars, we got Game of Thrones, what's good? So Bruh. So we already know they've got some animated stuff coming down the pikes allegedly. We know that they had the one long night spinoff. They got axed after they saw the pilot. I guess my boy was uh, it the Vecna, long? No, it wasn't the long night. It was the it was the age of heroes. It yes. was after the long. I night. guess my boy uh, Vecna, Jamie Campbell Bower, just he 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 just didn't bring quite enough fire because he was in that. Uh, uh, or maybe or maybe maybe he was supposed to be a good character and they just saw too much evil about him. I mean, um, to be fair, he was the young Grindelwald who was Wizard Hitler, and he was also Antony and Sweeney Todd. I feel you, John. Bro, that is the Creeper theme song. I That's, Stop it. We don't have the right song. <laughs> song uh, of the state don't sue us. Do they think that walls could hide you? Are you going to tell me that's not the Creeper song? Buried sweetly in your yellow hair. Anyways, so, uh, uh, yeah, so... Now they have announced... Uh, well, we have House of the Dragon coming out. We have that August 21st. That's officially less than two, two months, months away. Baby. HBO Max. Get those subscriptions ready. When I'm with uh, you, then I'm with you there. Uh, like, what are you doing? Um, And so... uh, Yeah. Now we... Allegedly... It, it, we say alleged because even though every major entertainment outlet has reported it, HBO, HBO Max... And Kit Harrington himself and George Martin have all declined to comment. My boy but, Kit Harrington is diversifying his revenue, bro. He's gonna be making Marvel money. He making Game of Thrones money. He's gonna do a sequel to Pompeii. <laughs> <laughs> I 
no. Oh, no. Oh, he's um, coming back for Silent Hill 3. Ooh. No. Sean Bean also going to be in that one. And he going to survive. Uh, so... Apparently, according to lots of news outlets that uh, normally don't run things unless sources are trustworthy, HBO is it's the complete opposite of us. We run everything. HBO is quietly developing an idea for a sequel series um, starring Jon Snow. Uh, Kit Harrington is supposedly enthusiastic and willing to return. Now. I personally think, and Logan, I think you'll agree with me, this is an exciting step for the franchise to have characters from the main series that everyone knows and loves coming back, even if they're for limited series like Disney Plus is doing with Star Wars characters. Because even if it's only six episodes, I would love to see six more hours of Jon Snow and what he gets up to. Mm -hmm. um, maybe this, if it does well, we get Arya. Maybe this means we get an episode where John has to go south of the wall and we see Sansa again. I like the 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 possibilities are there to tell new, exciting, original stories, and we have no idea what's coming because this is unprecedented. It it would be slightly annoying, but like Drogon literally could have just taken Danny's body over into Essos, and they could have just and one of the Red Priestesses finds her. her. And then, like, it's Daenerys coming back to the Seven Kingdoms, and John's like, oh, fuck, not again. Alice of Thorn was right. They'll never let me rest. And let me tell you a story. If that happens, and we get, like, a cr full-on crazed Daenerys Targaryen coming back for vengeance... The meeting betwixt her and Jon Snow would be, for me, the single most anticipated moment in the history of pop culture. It will be. As, I will be as hype to see that as I was for the first interaction between Obi-Wan and Vader in episode three. Yes. I will lose it. Yes. Because, bro, the tension? The tension. It gonna be palpable. Both it gonna sexual be... and otherwise. I'm glad you said it because I didn't want to. Because let, <laughs> let, I, I couldn't. But we, let, bro, also, they have even more in common, bro. They're already related. Uh, <laughs> but like both they've been both been, they for both doing what they thought, thought was right. right, and they've both been resurrected by the Lord of Light. Somebody at HBO need to hire us. We bro, we done crafted the first five episodes already. We, we got y'all. But, dude, it would be so good. Also, a Daenerys Targaryen coming back from the dead, Mother of Dragons, the unburnt, the undead? The yeah. titles will fall upon her. And then the Dothraki, who respect nothing but strength, will see that not even death can claim they Khaleesi, and they gonna flock back to her, and then you can have Grey Worm's bitch ass and the rest of the Unsullied show back up if they haven't already died on Noth, because, you know, if you're not a native there, you get a flesh-eating bacteria that kills you. But then, so you got, you've got Daenerys coming back. Bran has to warg into, like, some weird winged hell beast to go find Jon, like, Jon! Your auntie slash lover's back. We need your help. Sansa's like, a royal pardon to Jon Snow, a.k.a. Aegon Targaryen, sixth of his name. Jon's like, I still don't, don't want, want it. it. 
I'd be like, no, we're, we're past that. At the very least, you'll become Lord of Dragonstone, because that is technically your ancestral birthright. But like, oh my god. So then, and you can't have a Jon Snow series and not bring back Tormund. Tormund's gotta be there, bro. Tormund's his right-hand man. Ghost so gotta be there. Ghost gotta be there. So you got Jon, Tormund, and Ghost coming back south. You know Sir Davos gonna go meet up with him. I know he's Hand of the King, but let's be honest. Davos was Jon's loyal right-hand man. Stay with me here, right? What if Egret had a long-lost twin wildling sister? We just get Rose Leslie back. That'd be a little. That'd be a little much. I'm not gonna lie. That'd fit. That, that'd be a little heavy-handed. I'd be like, really, we doing that? He gonna fall in love with his dead girlfriend's twin sister? That's weird. But I mean, I guess he did bang his aunt, so nothing's off the table with this show. Her name is like Sneegrit or E Toast. Because <laughs> like eat grits, eat, eat, eat grits, eat toast. Yeah. <laughs> um. No, I, I'm really excited about the possibilities of a Jon Snow spinoff because not just because of that, but because, like we said, why, why not at this point? Why not just go full fan service? Look, bring Daenerys back. If you got built-in ways to do it, if you're facts, everyone was mad at the end. We weren't, but everyone, I love the end. Everyone else was mad at the ending, so why not give all the people that were mad? Give these salty ass people who were upset that they Khaleesi got killed. A, a shot at redemption, which I'm a love to drink they tears when she got to be put down again, unless she gets a redemption arc. And I don't know how you really redeem somebody who killed at least 250 to 300,000 people in a city in the like second to last episode. But hey, everybody needs a shot at redemption. And then John and Danny team up, become the power couple they were always meant to be. And they fight some other great bullshit evil that's coming because the Night King was only the death is only the beginning, bro. I don't know what they would fight unless you know they've got to team up and fight the Lord of Light himself. What if like, what if like the Great Other has a has an avatar? There was brand. Brand. <laughs> brand is the avatar of the Great bro, Other. Bro, bro, the Great Other just possesses Brand. Who yeah. then becomes the king of men. And when they were like, you're the... Uh, and Bran just starts sending the, people to their death? They thought he was the Night King, but like they were aiming too low. Oh. Somebody at HBO hire us. Yeah. But true story, it does make sense that HBO... Well, not even HBO. Warner Brothers, which owns HBO. It makes sense they would do this. You have a streaming service that you want people to buy in HBO Max. The best way to do that is to create content that people want to watch. Now, I need this to do well so that then they start thinking to themselves, okay, what other properties do we have that we can just, you know, create streaming service TV series for? Oh, I don't know, Harry Potter universe? There's no reason there's not a Harry Potter limited series on HBO Max. Like, get on it. Get, get on it. Give me the founding of Gryffindor, please. I would personally prefer the founding. You mean Hogwarts? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. The founding so, of yeah. Hogwarts. Yeah. Give me the founding of Hogwarts. Give me the ho give me the founding of Hogwarts. Give me the original Order of the Phoenix fighting Voldemort. Give me sort of a, a, a an American story set at the American Wizarding School. Indeed, Ilvermorny. Uh, yeah. yeah, like there's just there's so much that can be done. Give me a series about what the wizards in America were going through during the Salem witch trials. Uh, you know, honestly, give us a series like on every continent. In like every major city about what those wizards are doing in the modern day because 
a lot of the Harry Potter, like Harry Potter takes place like in what, like the early 90s? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, like give us, give us some, what, what's been happening recently? Like, give us that. Come on. Yeah. Hire us. All right, bruh. Um, almost time to transition into our discussion of Obi-Wan and Elvis. Um, Indeed. But before that, I think it's time to, for a word from our sponsor. Rice uh, Krispie Treats. And Wrigley's Spearmint Gum. Does anybody even use Wrigley's Spearmint Gum anymore? Yeah, there's some on the table, so it's just kind of well, hot down. down. All right, we'll be right back, folks. Uh, stay tuned. All right, and we are back. Okay, so to talk about Dino DNA. Oh no! <laughs> uh, but I do, I do just have a lot of feelings, bro, about Obi Wan. I've got all the feelings. A lot of them. I've searched them. I know them mm-hmm. to be true. Um. Uh, so let's tackle episodes five and six, the remainder of the story, kind of together. Uh-huh. Uh, Vader, of course, is still in hot pursuit of uh, Obi Wan. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, Obi Wan is trying to, to some. They're they're Obi Wan and Leia and some other people whose names I don't remember, like Ice Cube Junior, whatever his character's name was. Gloria signed. Yeah, God rest her soul. Spoiler alert. Um, um, they're all holed up on this like halfway point planet. Uh, Vader and Reva, they they hot on their trail, bro. Uh, when Reva shows up, uh, Obi Wan sort of is able to break through to her because he senses. I, I'm thinking he senses some goodness he in her. He senses much conflict. Yeah, he senses her. that conflict. He knows that she's not full evil. I'm gonna try to do this. Um, whole, this whole section with just Star Wars lines. Uh, he basically. Um, he manipulates her a little bit by getting her to sort of spill her backstory so they can bond. Spoiler alert, her backstory is that she was a youngling when uh, Anakin was just, you know, going through and just killing nothing but younglings during uh, episode uh, three. And... I saw the holotapes. He killed the younglings. Um... Good backstory, though. And it yeah. makes her a more interesting villain. And when it got to the parts to where she started having to show, like, emotion, mm-hmm. like, I do think uh, Moses Ingram's performance was pretty stellar. Yes. Um, I think that the people who were like, oh, like, her performance isn't good, like, I think those people, and I'm not talking about the racist people, I'm talking about the, the people who were not racist, who were just like, I don't think she's a good actress. I think that what they were failing to understand is she was playing someone who is actively trying to be devoid of emotion. Yes. And I think she did that well enough. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's not really an easy thing to play consistently. And I do think she did it well. And I think when it got to the part where she starts talking about her backstory and then when she gets really angry, like when she fights Vader, um, and then... All that stuff. Like, I think she did a great job of the all The only that. time she, before all of that, the only time she really shows emotion is when she's, like, directly referencing Obi-Wan and wanting to find Obi-Wan. 
because there is a lot of anger and resentment on her end towards him because you get the whole line where she was like, where were you at when we were all being slaughtered? He was your Padawan. How did you not know? Which, fair. That's a, that's a fair question to ask. She was like, although the, the Star Wars fan in me who's seen all the movies has been, he was like, uh, he was on Utapau getting shot at by Commander Cody after killing General Grievous in an attempt to end the war. So, you know, it's not really his fault that Anakin uh, got manipulated by Palpatine. Yeah. But um, I love going going to the fight. Well, look, look, before we get there, I love... My favorite part about that episode is that it starts on a flashback of Obi-Wan and Anakin training pre-Attack of the Clones. And, oh my God, it was great to see Hayden Christensen, like, just in the full-blown Anakin outfit, like the Padawan braid. And yeah, I I also, I don't mind the fact that they didn't, like, de-age him any. Well, they might have, like, smoothed some stuff out, but for the most part, it's just him. Because I feel like, because I've seen the de-aging technology in Star Wars, it's distracting. It is very distracting. It was, just, it was distracting with Grand Moff Tarkin. It was distracting with Princess Leia in Rogue One and in uh, The Fall of Skywalker. Um, so I think they realize that, like, if we de-age him too much, it's going to distract from just this great moment of seeing Ewan and Hayden, Obi-Wan and Anakin on screen together, and it will also, like, cause people to not realize the story that's being told in this backstory of Vader thinks that he knows what Obi-Wan is going to do, but Obi-Wan, who is the master at all times knows the type of person that Anakin is and knows how he's going to respond to all of this and he uses Anakin's brashness against him. Right. And he uses Reva's anger in order to well he says it himself he's like you want to kill Anakin for what he did. That's fine. I get that. You're not bringing me to Vader. I'm bringing Vader to you. And she was like well how do you know it's going to work? And he's like because I know Anakin's Skywalker. All he's going to see is me. Which, Which is that was my true. favorite line in that episode. It was yeah. so true because, like, the music in that part was great. Yeah. Well, oh what, well, what that episode did so well, episode five, it did so well was it did what Lost does, which is it uses the backstory and the things that we have learned and come to know about these characters to inform the present day storylines mm-hmm. in a meaningful way that also moves the plot forward. And. It, it, like a lot of people do flashbacks wrong and like, I agree with you the de-aging technology is pretty distracting and the only time it's ever worked is in the Mandalorian with Luke but you wouldn't use you wouldn't need to use a deep fake here because like yeah. Mark Hamill's like pushing 70 or something yeah. and like he was supposed to be like a 30 year old Luke so mm-hmm. like this is just Hayden Christensen is about 18 years older than he was the last time he played Anakin. Yeah. You don't need to deep fake that. Just like give him the haircut he had. He's like 18, 20 years older, one. but like he kind just kind of still, still he still looks Yeah, he the doesn't same. look that old. Just smooth out some of his wrinkles with some makeup. Yeah. He looks fine. Like I mean, were they both noticeably older? Yes, yeah. but like it did it the episode was so well done it doesn't distract. Yes. So like I thought I thought all oh, that was great. We we got like we got Vader just like his most OP, just oh my god, pulling ships up out the air. Just his like, most OP at the time, because he was even more OP in the final episode. But I love, dude, when the ship takes off and he's like, "Nope, not today." 
yanks it back down and then just starts ripping the ship apart and like to find Obi-Wan and he's distracted enough to where the other ship just takes off and zips off. I was like Obi-Wan knows Anakin. I love And then the, Reva uh, is like I love that was my time. Yeah, Reva just goes like really hard after him. It doesn't work at all. He embarrasses her. Oh my god, dude! I love the fact that for the first part of that fight, he doesn't even take out his—he never takes out his own lightsaber. I love how he, he takes just her uses, lightsaber from her. Yeah, he uses the force to block her, or he just dodges out of the way. And I'm like, damn, Vader got moves. And then she like activates both sides, and she's coming at him. He's just like, no, no, pause, force push, lift your lightsaber up, push you away, and then her lightsaber starts spinning, and he just uses the force to stop it, grabs it takes it apart, deactivates one, tosses it on the ground, and is like, come on. Come on. He was just playing with her the whole time. Oh, it was so good. And then, like, uh... Also, if you notice, like, during the fight with Anakin and Obi-Wan in the flashback, uh, Anakin disarms Obi-Wan, and Obi-Wan, like, because he knows Anakin, uses his own bullshit against him and, like, gets the upper hand. Vader does the same thing against Reva in this, mm-hmm. but he's learned from that mistake. He disarms her, grabs the other lightsaber, and is just like, did you think that I wouldn't see it, youngling? So he's known the entire How time. How did you think I wouldn't guess? How did you think I wouldn't know? Do you have something to confess? I want the truth right now, you. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But, like, and I love the moment of, like, she's, like, she's on her knees, like, defeated. And it does, like, brief flashbacks of her seeing, like, Anakin, technically Vader. She sees Vader when she was a youngling in the Jedi Temple. She sees Vader now. It's that nice, like, juxtaposition of like blue lightsaber light on Anakin, red on Vader, and it just flashes back and forth. And it ends with Anakin being the one that like stabs her, but like it then cuts to Vader and she's just there. And then oh the cherry on the top for all these people that were bitching and complaining that it broke continuity. The Grand Inquisitor and all of his magnificent sassy ass glory shows up and he's like, Revenge does Wonders. I was like, oh, God, thank you. And he was like, you had... He was like, what what was the line? He was like, your anger and rage served a purpose, but now you're just tiring. And he was like, I'll leave you to it, Grand Inquisitor. And then they all just walk out and leave her there. And I was like, oh, this is good shit. Yeah. Uh, And then, so in the finale... Obi-Wan has to um, basically like they do get away but Vader's hot on their heels Vader's like because Lola's still being uh, tracked yeah so like uh, Obi-Wan is like look get Leia to safety I'm gonna go off like by myself because he's gonna come for me Mm -hmm. and y'all will all survive Um, I love how like in that scene everybody's like no you can't do this and Obi-Wan's like, you all have spent the last ten years protecting the Jedi. It's time to let me help you all. Yeah. Like, these children are the future. It doesn't really matter if I die. And he, like, Leia's all forlorn and stuff. And I love the relationship between those two by the end of this show. Yeah. Uh, and it makes sense that in A New Hope she would be like, 
I need your help. But we but we've already yeah, like yeah, this episode works to actually like do a lot of connective tissue, I think. But like we've already seen at this point from episode four, I believe it was, that Anakin is starting to get like his he's starting to get back in touch with the force because like he's Obi Wan. Yeah, 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 Obi Wan. Because he's able to like hold back the force of the ocean. Yeah. Oh, good. Dude. Which is a lot more. It's actually a lot more impressive even than it looks. Yes. Um, so like Because there's like thousands of pounds of pressure that are pushing on I knew when I saw him like holding like holding off the ocean from breaking that glass in episode four Mm -hmm. long enough for them to escape. I was like, oh shit, Obi-Wan getting his mojo back. Especially considering when you think about it in the second episode, he struggles to catch Leia with the Force as she's falling off the roof. And he just barely catches her. But then by the time you get to episode four, he's holding back the like pressurized water from underneath like whatever ocean they're in long enough for like them to get out. And then he just lets it go. And then when you compare that to what he does later on in this episode, it Obi Wan is back, and like you know, so he has his. So there's two parallel stories. Mm-hmm. He has his like confrontation with Vader. At the same time, Reva has um, like learned about Luke. Mm-hmm. So she's gone to Tatooine to uh, to kill Luke. Know, to kill Luke. Yeah. yeah. And so you have cool parallel stories. Like, in the Reva storyline, of course, you know, not going to lie, Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru. They held their they, own. They, they did a pretty decent job. I love um, the fact that Joel Ledgerton actually got something to do in this. He's a great actor, and, like, I'm glad they gave him that opportunity. Yeah. Um, also a huge Star Wars fan. Uh, I love how, like, at least at first it looked like they just pulled out a normal shotgun. Like, Dude! I was so bad. I was like, they know the history. Uh, Lightsabers can't deflect bullets. uh, But it was just a regular blaster shotgun. It looked cool, though. It did. Oh, man. Um, Also, Baru, ride or die. Yes. uh, So Luke sort of runs for the hills because, I mean, he's a kid. What else you gonna do? He's like nine. Uh, I I love the moment where uh, Owen is trying to hold Reva back. And she was like, you love him, don't you, as if he was your own. And Owen is just like, he is my own. I was like, oh. Because if you think about it, we we haven't actually gotten any of the relationship between Owen, Baru, and Luke. Yeah. All we really know is that, like, Owen is Anakin's stepbrother, and he and Baru raised Luke. But, by like, when you originally meet them in A New Hope, like... Luke's like 19 years old and you just know that he was raised by his aunt and uncle and then 20 minutes later they've been vaporized. It's a disrespect. And then you meet you meet Owen and Baru in Attack of the Clones but you don't really get to know them and then you see them again at the end of Revenge of the Sith but like we don't we and even in this show like we haven't really gotten any time just to see that relationship grow. Like honestly we got more of Bale and his wife and Leia which is important to the story and we got a lot of what that relationship is like so I would like at some point like to see just just the family dynamic of the Lars and Luke yeah I agree um 
And also, of course, like, later, I think, because we're going to jump back and talk about Vader. Mm-hmm. But, like, later, like, towards the end, when Obi-Wan, like, actually gets a chance to meet Luke for the first time. Oh, and, like, when, so when he's good. like, he's like, hey, Ben, you want to meet him? And, like, we get, like... Hello there. We get the hello there. That was that was a really nice Which I, moment. I enjoyed that one, because it's Obi-Wan. I want to see him say hello there. But also, it's a very nice in-between of, like... Ewan McGregor and Alec Guinness's hello there and it was like right in the middle and I was like oh god give Plus, me more of this if you've seen A New Hope you know that Luke Skywalker knows Ben Kenobi yeah so it's because not, when he sees the message from the droid he's like he was like, like Obi-Wan like you, he was like, you think you mean, they mean like old mean ben, ben Kenobi and then when he, re- he when he sees him he's like he's like oh yeah, ben, it is Ben Kenobi you yeah. know what I mean like I love that it's like, do you know Obi-Wan Kenobi? Of course I know him. He's, He's me. me. Um, God rest Alec Guinness. I, he was a genius. That man knew the story before George Lucas knew the story. I would love it. I wish I'm going to say, still alive. not if, but when we get, yes, if he was still alive. But I'm, I would love it when we get a season two to see more of like, not all the time, but just see more of like Ben coming by and just talking to Luke and seeing all that. Because, like, he, Luke and Ben aren't strangers, like we just said. Like, they know of what well, Luke knows of Ben. Right. So, it, let, let's grow that dynamic also. So, um, of course, the most epic thing that happened in this episode, in the entire six-episode run, mm-hmm. uh, was the confrontation between Vader and Obi-Wan. Um, you know, the lines are classic. Have you come to destroy me, Obi-Wan? He's like, I will do what I must. And, like, he does that signature Obi-Wan fighting style. Oh, bro, he's like, ah. which is Which is one thing I have to give them credit for, because that is true in the prequels. They do it in the cartoons when he mm-hmm. fights. They've done it in the TV show. Like, they have not broken their continuity on Obi-Wan's fighting he does style. It, he does it in Rebels against Darth Maul, and I love how... Sam Witwer has like this video and I think it might be on like Rebels like deleted scenes or whatever or he could have done it at like a Star Wars celebration convention he talks about like the the classic Obi-Wan pose of like the one arm stretched out with the lightsaber above his head that's that's young Obi-Wan Kenobi that's Clone Wars Obi-Wan Kenobi that's the Obi-Wan who like despite his best efforts lost the war so then he briefly and this is this is just rebels and Sam Witwer's talking about like so he starts out the way that we that we've come to know Obi-Wan and then he goes more towards the Alec Guinness pose which is the very like rigid almost like immovable mountain position because let's be honest the only reason Alec Guinness's Obi-Wan lost to Vader is because he let himself be beat yeah he wasn't really trying to fight Vader that wasn't yeah. the point of that that is that oh, a new hope Obi-Wan is an Obi-Wan who was like the wheels have been set in motion. The Force is ready to, like, right the wrongs of the galaxy and everything will be fine. I no longer am the watchman on the wall protecting Luke. Luke is about to go on his journey and save his father. Also, at this point, we know there's now, like, lots of canonical evidence that, like, that Obi-Wan was so strong with the Force that mm-hmm. he could have really wrecked Vader. Which we which like, we see in this one. Because, like, 
So, this fight was everything that, like, you would want it to be. Because yes. Vader is not holding back here. I mean, no. he's he's definitely coming for Obi-Wan. He's he, holding back in episode, what is it, three? Yeah. He's not holding back in this one. He definitely whoops Obi-Wan's ass at first. Mm -hmm. But then, like, Obi-Wan gathers his wits about him. Yeah. He uses the force to help him. I love the the line where Vader is like, "Your strength is returned to you, but your weakness remains, and that is why you will always lose." And then he like causes a force earthquake by like slamming his hand on the ground and like using the force to like just rupture the ground around Obi Wan to where he falls down into like a hole where Anakin now has the high ground. He learned his lesson, and then he just starts throwing stalagmite upon stalagmite onto like where Obi-Wan is and for a brief moment I was like now I know he doesn't die but how the hell is he going to get out of this and then it like flashes it, it pans down to Obi-Wan in the hole using all of his strength turns out he's just that guy he, he that dude, <laughs> he that dude. Yeah, like and then I love how like it's the flashes of Luke and Leia that are like no I have something to live for this is not where it ends and in full Obi-Wan Kenobi glory, pushes all, and like, the way that we're describing it will not do it justice, because you have to see how much rubble is on top of him to realize how impressive it is that he just pushes all of it off of him. And then he like runs up the hit, running up that hill. <laughs> running up that hill, if I only could, <laughs> make a deal with God. <laughs> <laughs> would it fit? It, it would have. I'm gonna I'm gonna make that and I'm gonna post that online. Um, and then he runs up and like it just shows Vader, and like Vader is like on the far left side of the screen, so you can't see anything behind him. And then Vader just ignites his lightsaber and they just start fighting again. But this time it is an Obi Wan who has fully embraced who he is. He's done with like the the feelings of like I just need to die and be done with all of this bullshit. And he like. Force lifts with the greatest of ease. Size matters not to one who is in tune with the Force. He just lifts up all of these, like, boulders. And just, he, and I love the fact that he doesn't move his hands while he does it. And he just starts, like, launching them at He basically Vader. just, like, boulder stones Vader. Yes. Like, and Vader's I mean, like, fuck! He is wrecking Vader. Yes. As hard as he was wrecking Anakin towards which, the end. Which gives credence to the line, when I left you, I was but the learner, and you were the master. Now I am the master that you get in A New Hope. Because, like, you're like, I mean, yeah, he wrecks you on Mustafar, but, like, okay, like, all right, sure. But, like, this shows that Obi-Wan really is a master of the Force. Um, well, Vader even calls him master in the episode, yes. in, in the scene, because he's like, so long, master, or yes. whatever. Like, but, like, um... I just love that he just completely wrecks Vader. I love the fact um, that, like, so he tackles Vader through a boulder at one point, and he starts, like, swinging his lightsaber, and he does the reverse grip to where, like, the blade is, like, going along his forearm. And then he takes the hilt of his lightsaber and just starts smashing it into Vader's, like, a uh, respirator. Because, like, if you can't breathe, you can't fight. And then he right. does he, like he, some he crazy. He watched the Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> he knew me. He went in, and it wasn't no eight-year-old dusty karate that Bruce was bringing to that fight. So he smashes the respirator, keeps fighting him. Vader is like on the defensive now, 
and he does like Obi Wan does this crazy like leap move where he leaps at Vader and slashes it, and it hits the helmet. And for me, this upcoming part is my favorite moment in the entire episode. Yeah. He smashes the lightsaber against Vader's helmet. It breaks off half of it to where you can see the helmet and then un- what's underneath the helmet. And Obi-Wan, for the first time, actually sees like what Anakin's become. And his will to fight in that moment is just completely gone. Because while he might hate Darth Vader... There is genuine, there's genuine love between Obi-Wan and Anakin. And Obi-Wan views Anakin as his younger brother who he failed. And there's this moment where he's like, I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry, Anakin. For, yeah, that for was all, the... He was like, for all of it. That was the sad moment where he starts crying and apologizing. And Vader has this line where he's like, we gotta get new chairs, this line. This chair's squeaky. Um, that was not the line, by the way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Vader has this line where he's like... I well, he's like, well, no. Obi Wan is like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Anakin, for all of it. And Vader is like, I'm not Anakin Skywalker. I'm what remains. I'm not your failure. Obi-Wan. And he's like, well, then my friend is truly dead. It's like I and did he's, not. And kill. he's like, I'm not. You did not kill Anakin uh, Skywalker. I, I did. did. And I love the line where. And I'm going to call him Anakin in this moment because the way that the audio was done, you do not hear any of the Vader. No, you, you hear, don't hear you, the Vader voice. You, you hear, hear, hear Hayden Christensen. Yeah. You hear Anakin. He's like, I am not your failure. Yeah. And I choose to believe that in that moment, that is Anakin. That is Anakin who is like, and and visually, I can justify this because you don't see any of the red lightsaber. You see Obi-Wan's blue lightsaber lighting up his face. He's like, I am not your failure, Obi-Wan. And I choose to believe that that's Anakin in the moment being like, do not apologize for this. This isn't your fault. I made this I choice. I made this choice. Mm-hmm. Everything Absolutely. that has happened after I made that choice is on my me. fault. No, no, I, I absolutely, like, I absolutely, because he goes back to the whole thing, it's like, no one will ever hate Vader more than he hates himself. Yes. And, like, like... And honestly, you that's can, a moment that There's made, also a moment where you can see, like, a tear running down his cheek. Yes. When he says that. Yeah. Like... It's the moment that, like, because we watched that episode together. If I was watching it by myself... I'd have wept. I would have wept. But I'd have continued weeping, because, like, first off, that moment is so loaded, because, like... It really recontextualizes the conversation in A New Hope, mm-hmm. where Obi Wan is like, uh, like you know, a Sith Lord, like just basically betrayed and yes, like well, yeah, her because it's, it's Anakin going like, Vader killed me, not you, right? Everything that I have become is my own fault because at the at the moment I betrayed the Jedi Council. I became Darth Vader, and Darth Vader killed and destroyed everything that Anakin Skywalker was. So when Obi-Wan is telling Luke, your father was betrayed by another apprentice of mine, Darth Vader, it it makes that conversation make more sense, and it's more emotional now because of this moment that Anakin and Vader had on this planet that they don't name. Um, and then Obi-Wan is just like, I'm leaving, I'm not... I'm not doing this anymore. Like, I'm no longer burdened with the guilt I felt that I failed you. I'm not going to kill you. I'm just done. And he walks away, and you hear in a great... Because, going back real quick, 
Anakin is the one who goes, I am not your failure. It's Vader who goes, I killed Anakin Skywalker, not you. Mm -hmm. And then when Obi-Wan leaves, you hear a great combination of the two where Anakin and Vader are both yelling, Obi-Wan! Which I think... I could talk for hours about like just the, the, the subtext of what lines mean and how they're said and the way that like the audio is represented. But I would argue in that moment when you hear both distinct voices, it's Vader yelling Obi-Wan because he wants the fight to continue because he wants to kill Obi-Wan Kenobi. And I think it's Anakin yelling because he doesn't want to be left alone. Yes. Anakin wants Obi-Wan to save him. But... I think even though, like, in the original trilogies, Obi-Wan and Yoda were both like, no, nah, Luke need to kill the Emperor and Vader, I think subconsciously Obi-Wan knows that as long as those children are alive, Anakin Skywalker isn't completely gone, and subconsciously he realizes that even though he loves Anakin like a brother, it's his children that are going to save him. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with all of that. I think all, all of that tracks. Um, I thought it was fantastic. And then, of course, as the episode came to its conclusion, we got two awesome uh, cameos. Mm -hmm. uh, we got Vader talking to Palpatine. God, it's good to see Ian McDermott in um, something that's and something not, that's not garbage. garbage. Oh my god! Uh, we got Vader talking to Palpatine briefly. Also, the older um, he gets, the less they have to do the makeup. But uh, the really cool bit for me was when... Oh, 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 Bef before we go there, because I know where you're going and I, I, it's what we've all been waiting for. I love the moment on Tatooine between Obi-Wan and Reva where she's like, I failed them because I couldn't get revenge for my friends that were killed. And Obi-Wan's like, no, you, you gave them peace. You've allowed them to move on. And what you... She was like, by becoming like him? And he was like, you didn't become him. You grew you, in, you made you, the opposite. You made the opposite choice, and you grew in spite of him. And what you choose to become now, much like how Anakin chose to become Vader, is on her. There's no longer like the baggage and the anger of the past of what happened to her. Her journey at this point is 100% up to her. Yeah. And I, for one, am interested to see more of that character and what yeah. becomes of her. I really liked that. The I thought that they go on and let her and the Sokotano team up. She had a great arc. I really liked the way it wrapped up. Mm -hmm. um, but like, I think my favorite moment of the episode was right there towards the end when Obi Wan finally oh, sees the Force Ghost of Qui Gon Jinn. We Bro, finally got we Liam. Finally Neeson. got Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson is my shit. Like, oh God! Because uh, we were like, they finally did it. <laughs> He's here. like you can start to see like the shimmering or whatever. Yeah, we're like, it happened in that it first off. the mirage because it's so Dude. hot. This Georgia heat. <laughs> oh, that's Qui Gon Jinn. Dude, the like blue force ghost mirage started to flicker, and I was like, is that? No. But then you see like the full silhouette, and we both looked at each other and were like, hey. And then he turns around and he's just like, took you long enough. And he was like. Master Qui-Gon. And I love the line Qui-Gon says to Obi-Wan, who was like, I thought I would never see you again. And Qui-Gon was like, I've always been here. Like, you just weren't was, ready to see me. Which, and he's ready to see him now because he's let go of all the, the shit that happened with Anakin. Yes. Like, and what's great about it is, like, he's like, 
he's like, follow me. We got some like, we got like, we got we a got long way to go. To and what's cool about it is like, cause to me, you just know Obi Wan is about to take that next final step. Mm-hmm. He's about to learn hella things about the Force. He's about like, to learn how to become more powerful than well, you can possibly imagine. I think he's going to learn, like, the secrets of, like, how to be a Force ghost and stuff, mm-hmm. which is why, see, it informs A New Hope again. Yes. Because in that moment, like, when he fights Vader again, he thinks to himself, what would Master Qui-Gon do? Mm-hmm. He would just let himself become one with the Force. because, yes. And we joke about how, like, in the movie, we if never you really strike s- me down, Darth. I shall become more powerful we, than you can possibly imagine. We joke about how there's no film evidence yes. that he became more powerful, but but like in it in, in the canon of Star Wars, that there's is nothing what, more powerful than becoming one with the living force. Th- that is what happened. Yes, and like he clearly he learns that and a lot of other stuff from Qui Gon, and mm-hmm. I'm hoping that if we do get a season two, we see some of that. Yes. Um, but like, I hope we get a season two of this. I hope Hayden gets his own Vader miniseries. Yeah, that goes for as long as he wants to do it. Because there, there's hella comic book stuff that they can adapt for this, yep. and I would, I'd eat it all up. I agree. Uh, I, I would still personally like to see Vader, uh, like Vader as Vader and Maul together on screen. At some point, mm-hmm. um, they can't do the comic I really love. I remember that one where like Palpatine uses a clone of Maul to attack Vader, and like Maul is whooping that ass, and he's like, "There's too much Jedi in you. There's not enough hatred. What could you ever possibly hate enough to defeat me?" And he's like, "Myself." And, and in a bawling moment, Vader, because Maul's behind him, like choking him out. And Vader is like myself, and he turns his lightsaber hilt towards him, ignites it, and stabs himself through the like through the stomach to kill Maul. Which, even though that's not canon anymore, there's canonical proof that you can get stabbed in your gut and not die from a lightsaber wound. Mm-hmm. That just means Han Solo were weak. Not uh, yeah. <laughs> also, he fell like hundreds of thousands of feet to the core of that planet and got blown the fuck up. But I still. Mean, but I mean, no. to be fair, something very similar at least appeared to happen to Palpatine. I mean, he got thrown down a shaft and then got blown up. I mean... Yeah, that is true. Uh, maybe there were clones of uh, Han Solo. Um, Hell. We don't acknowledge the sequels. Harrison um, Ford will never show back up. But yeah, like, I, I really loved... Um, I really loved Obi-Wan. I thought it was great. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and for all the stuff that I... Like, I will always say that the sequel trilogy is the hottest of garbage. But everything else, pretty much, that they have done, like Filoni, Favreau, every, like Bri- uh, Bryce Dallas Howard gets a lot of credit for stuff she's done for Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. The stuff that Disney Plus has been doing for Star Wars is, like... Phenomenal. It's excellent. And... Um, what would you what would you do if and I don't know the story reasoning behind this happening because I know I would lose my mind Ahsoka shows up in season 2 and Obi-Wan and Ahsoka have to go on an adventure together I would really like that it would or make- if like I'd love that 
I would love Ahsoka getting to talk to Force Ghost Obi-Wan in her own series. I would also love Force Ghost Anakin showing up in yes. her series also. Because there's no reason why you couldn't have that happen. Well, we've already seen that Anakin post-Return of the Jedi's events can... Well, like, at the end of Return of the Jedi can be a Force Ghost. So, yep. Also, I... I know that the reason that, like, at least as far as we know currently in the canon, uh, we know that, like, Obi-Wan and Yoda never interacted ever again, mm-hmm. like, until after Obi-Wan passed away. Yeah. But, like, honestly, I wouldn't be mad if there was some reason why... Um, in one of these Obi-Wan stories, he had to, like, briefly reunite with Yoda in some way. Um, it's possible, though, because I, Ezra Bridger meets meets Yoda, and Ezra doesn't go to Dagobah. Yeah. That, so, I mean, that's true. Rebels showed us a lot of interesting there's stuff. There's no reason why, like... I would argue... Because, like, we love Clone Wars, but I would argue that there are developments in Rebels that are even more significant. Yes. Like, and... I I just want to see more of that stuff. Like, mm. the stuff that Dave Filoni has seeded that some people may get mad when I say this because they still holding on to their hatred of, like, 20-plus years. A lot of the really cool ideas that Dave Filoni has are things that George Lucas just told him to do. Yep. And, like, I, I really want more of those little tidbits. And, like I said, I would... Re- Whereas I don't care so much about, like, I didn't care so much about George Lucas coming out and bashing The Force Awakens saying, that's not what I was going to do. It's like, well, why did you sell it then? What I would like to hear his opinion on, like, things like the Obi-Wan show, yeah. like Rebels. Like, I would like to know what he thinks of those things. Not, not a deconstruction of them, here's what I would have done differently, but a, like, here are some things that Dave Filoni has done or John Favreau has done or whatever that are similar to ideas I had that I really like and here's what I wish they would do. Pick up a phone and call me. Here are my ideas. Right. Because if it was well, me... Well, if, if I was in charge, I'd just bring... Like, he might not own it, but I would bring in George Lucas to be like an executive producer and well, work with Dave There Filoni is no way. Favreau. There's no way that I would write any Star Wars story... Even if it was like Taika Waititi's doing, where it's completely original characters, mm-hmm. I would not do anything in the Star Wars universe unless I could meet with George Lucas first and yeah. tell him my ideas and have him tell me what he thinks about my ideas. I would eat. I I mean, and this is the order I'm going in. I'm going to George. If I can't meet with George, I'm going to Dave Filoni. If I can't meet with Dave Filoni, John Favreau. And if for some reason I can't meet with John Favreau, and people will look at me like I'm crazy for this next name on the list, but I would argue that he knows as much about Star Wars as those other people. Not as much as George, but he knows as much as the other two. Sam Whitworth. Because I mean, Sam yeah, Whitworth has that. dedicated like at least 10 plus years of his life. And let's be honest... Besides the aesthetic, everything we love about Darth Maul is Sam Whitworth. So it's true. Um, but yeah, yeah. So Obi Wan was a great success. Um, we got we got Star Wars. Um, 
Tales of the Jedi coming up. Can't wait. We got the what's what's the other the other the uh, the Star Wars the Skeleton Crew I told you about. Mm-hmm. There's the Ahsoka series. Uh, the Ahsoka up. series. Uh, I know you're not that excited about it, but um, they got the uh, the Andor series coming up, which is a direct prequel to Rogue One about Cassian Andor, who yeah. was my favorite character in that movie. Uh, but Savannah really likes Rogue One, so like she's excited about the Cassian Andor story. So. Right, um, which is fair enough because that's what they're making it for us. The people yeah. that love Rogue One, um, and I also maintain. I can honestly say, like, my, it's not for me. So my, you know what I'm my problems that I have with Rogue One pretty much had nothing to do with. I think the, the entire cast was great because I thought Diego Luna was great, and I thought that was a good character. Yeah. So if you're gonna do something else with those characters, let it be Diego Luna. My character. main problem with Rogue One was that I didn't want to get attached to any of those characters because I knew that they were all going to be dead by the end of the movie. And I do think that, like, after watching the Andor series, if it's really good, it will make watching Rogue One directly afterwards sad as crap. So is this, this like, directly leading into Rogue One? Supposedly, based on what I read, Mm -hmm. it is, like... A direct prequel to Rogue One. Okay, so like, okay, so that makes it more interesting. This should end right as Rogue One is beginning, or right as they're coming into contact with um, what's her name? Okay, so okay, so then yeah, that's more interesting to me because I didn't care enough about like the early days of Cassie and Andor, and I was like, I don't care. And if they bring Leia into it again, just cast Billy Lord. Either that or deep fake her and use Carrie Fisher's voice AI. Yeah, like don't do the de aging thing on like a on like a stunt double or something. That's just not gonna work. Um, but yeah. Also, Although the only, do you pers- think the only they, person they'll bring they, back uh, is Grand Moff Tarkin? You think they? You think they might bring back Forrest Whitaker? Save the rebellion. Save I don't see why not. Because Saul Guerrero would still be alive. Honestly, they should do more with that character. They should because I. They should. Saw Guerrera is an interesting juxtaposition to Anakin Skywalker and Darth Vader. Both start out very human and both become rage-fueled, more machine than men who kind of believe that the ends justify the means no matter what. So, yeah. I would like that. Um, Alright, so for you... For you where do you rank all the live action Disney Plus Star Wars stuff? Because for me, for me, it goes uh, Obi Wan, Obi Wan, The Mandalorian, Book Man- of Boba Fett. Yes, yeah. And that's not to say that The Mandalorian is bad. I think The Mandalorian before Obi Wan is the best thing they've done. It's in years. it's really good. It's just but for me, I it, I, I love the character of Obi Wan Kenobi. Like yeah, like Obi Wan Obi Wan for me is like my second favorite Star Wars character. So. Right, and the in the jump out of your seats epic moments from the Mandalorian are when like they bring Luke into it, mm-hmm. or you see Bo Katan, yeah, or you see Ahsoka, like you know what I mean. You see Boba Fett, yeah, like when you bring in these legend legendary characters, um, but that's not or, or Moff Gideon with the dark saber. Cause uh, dude, when he showed up with the dark saber, I was like, oh, um, yeah. So, uh, or Ahsoka when she showed up in season two. Also, I I know we haven't seen a lot of her, 
Rosario Dawson does not get enough praise for her Sokotano. She's great. She's amazing. She's great. That's another example of, like, I think fans just sort of wishing something into existence. Mm-hmm. Because I know for a fact there have been people online like, Rosario Dawson would be really good Ahsoka. Yeah. And, like, that just worked really I well. do get annoyed with people who are like, it should have been Ashley Eccleston or whatever her name was that voiced the character. She was like, I appreciate her being like, I mean, that would have been awesome, but I'm not, like, I'm a, I'm a voice actress. And I mean, yeah. Also, apparently, like, Rosario and Hayden have known each other for years. So, I think it would be really interesting to have that dynamic play out. People who know each other and I'm assuming have like a good relationship. I make it happen. So uh, that was that was that. We hope you guys enjoyed Obi-Wan as much as we did. Uh, If you haven't watched it, what are you doing? Go watch it. Um, If you're wondering where it fits on the continuity, I got you. Here it goes. All right, Bear with me. Uh, After you watch episode three the first thing you watch if you're watching everything you have to watch Bad Batch but after that Obi-Wan yeah because Solo and Rogue One and Rebels come after that yes although technically you should play Jedi Fall in order first true because that happens five years in between three and Obi-Wan True. And it's a good game, and you have no reason not to play it. And they're eventually probably going to adapt that anyway. Yeah. And you need to get ready for the sequel when it comes out next year. I would appreciate them just doing a straight adaptation of that for people that don't play video games. That'd be dope. Because, like, I I would play that game, but I'm more likely to watch it if they make a movie. Fam, play the game. All right. I'll so, help you play the game. Deal. All right. Uh, so. Oh, God, that'd be going to wrap up our coverage of Star Wars. Uh, and we're about to get to our spoiler-filled review of the uh, of the Baz Luhrmann film Elvis. Uh, but first, we're going to take a short break and have a word from our other sponsor this week. No. Uh, Sprite. No. We're... Sprite? I, I can't remember any marketing for Sprite, so I'm not going to do a jingle. Quench your thirst. Quench your thirst with Sprite. We'll be right back. All right, and we are back. Uh, so our film review this I week. I going to open this up by singing a song. Oh, you got a song? I No. What well, is in yeah. your heart? What's in your heart, bro? Well, literally, like, <laughs> I was going to open it up with a little less conversation, a little more action. And then as soon as you press start, all the lyrics flew from my head, and I was just like, <laughs> "Wait, what?" Little less conversation, little more action, please. All this aggravation and satisfaction in me. Little less fun, little more dumb. Something like that. Yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Satisfy me, baby. Uh, it's a um, great song. When any movie that uses that song, you know somebody's about to go to Vegas. <laughs> Come on, baby, I'm tired of talking. Yeah. Um. We get a cease and desist from the colonel. Like, you do not have the rights to the song. Like, why are, you don't have the rights to that accent. But all right. Okay, so, uh, look. Uh, everyone who listens to this podcast with fidelity knows that uh, I am a massive Elvis Presley fan. Uh, you probably listened to... If you've listened to all the episodes, you've listened to my interviews with uh, the spy guy and 
uh, Trey from Globetrotting with Trey, that those two guys that go around on YouTube and uh, make videos about uh, just different historical places in the life of Elvis. Um, and so there's been a lot of talk on this podcast leading up to the release of this movie. It was personally my most anticipated movie of the year outside of, um, you know, probably the Halloween movie that's coming out later this year. So I was very excited. Logan and I got tickets to go see the movie. I love that you still have high hopes um, for Halloween ends after Halloween kills. My hopes are high. Um, I was going to go with Panic at the Disco high hopes, but all right. But uh, so we went to see the movie in Atlantic Station, as alluded to earlier. Uh, I think it was Tuesday night. We saw the early access showing. Thank you, Regal. Um, we uh, the movie is two and a half hours long, and Baz Luhrmann claims that there's a four hour cut out there. Man, I want to see that four hour cut, and I'll explain why. Um, I have a lot of feelings about the movie. I have a lot of thoughts. There are a lot of gripes I have that are nitpicks, and then there are a lot of things I really love, and there are a lot of things that I wish we had gotten more of. Um, I just have a lot, and I'm trying to sort of... I'm still in my head trying to outline how I want to approach that. So, Logan, let me... While I'm gathering my thoughts, um, what did you think of the movie um, as someone who did not grow up like a big Elvis fan. Like, what did you think of the movie? Uh, okay. So, as you know, and as the people who are listening to this and most of the people that know me on a personal basis, I'm not an Elvis fan. I'm just not. It's not my thing. I didn't grow up on it. Like, I've heard the songs. I've seen some of the movies. It just never did it for me the way it does it for other people. Um, I have gone on the record many a times and said, there are some Elvis songs I like. I just prefer covers of most of those songs. Like, I really enjoy, um, I forget the guy's name, but he was on America's Got Talent. He did a really good cover of Unchained Melody. Um, I prefer the Haley Steinfeld version of it's the song where he's talking about uh, it was in that Wrigley's gum it was in the it was in the Stride gum commercial uh, I can't help falling in love with you I prefer like a lot of different covers of that song but I have always understood the contributions to the world of music that Elvis Presley has made because I think it would be short-sighted and a little dishonest to go Elvis didn't make any contributions to the world of music. That's just not a that's not a true statement. It's just he wasn't he's not in my top twenty favorite artists. He's probably not even in the top hundred. Um Honestly I I I know more about Elvis because I know that his daughter was married to Michael Jackson for a while. Um which this movie should have done a to the time jump to see uh, Lisa Marie marry Michael Jackson. They could have gotten Flex Alexander back to do it. <laughs> it was a terrible movie. Or they could have gotten uh, Joseph Fiennes 
with that mo- <laughs> with that movie we never saw. Thank God. Um, that does need to be re uh, re released online somewhere now, though. Was it ever released to begin with? I don't with? think so. It needs to be released. Bro, that shit is in the bowels bro, of some bro, movie studio. They deep like, six that The executives are like, we pray to God nobody ever starts a hashtag tweet demanding the release of this cut. Hashtag uh, release the fines cut. <laughs> but um, I will say that I genuinely did enjoy this movie. And my only qualifications to enjoy this movie were... One, I just wanted it to be a good movie. And two, I wanted to leave this movie being able to go, I get why people not only love Elvis, but I get why Elvis was as big as he was. Because even though I admit that he like he's very influential in the world of music, I never personally like understood why. And I never understood why, like, a lot of older folks, mainly your dad, because your dad's, like, the first person I think of when I think of, like, older people who loved Elvis. Like, your dad was all about him some Elvis. Like, deadass, anytime we rode anywhere with him, nine times out of ten, we were going to be listening to either Elvis or he was going to be telling a very inappropriate story that made us go, what the hell? That's Um, pretty much what dad did. (laughs) Uh, whenever we would go to karaoke, he would always sing an Elvis song, if not multiple. I remember at one point, years ago, he was, uh, we had gotten back to your place, and he was just on, like, Amazon or whatever, looking for an Elvis jumpsuit, <laughs> so that he could go to karaoke as Elvis, and we were both like, the fuck? <laughs> and I think that was one of the key moments where I was like, his faculty slipping. I think he thinks he is the Kang. <laughs> um, but no, I I left that movie going like, I get it. I, I get why Elvis was as big as he was. I get why people love Elvis. Uh, I think the story of Elvis, as impressive as it is, to literally come from nothing and to be considered the greatest, if one of the greatest artists of all time, is a very inspirational story. But if even if there's even a one percent chance that any of the like jacked up stuff that happened in this movie happened the way that it actually did, it's a very dark and depressing story also. Um I do like the fact that Baz went out of his way to show that like Elvis did not steal music from black people. Elvis because his father was out here writing hella bad checks and got sent to the poke, Elvis and his mom had to basically move into, like, a black neighborhood when Elvis was very young. And Elvis grew up around black people so that, of course, he fell in love with black music. And it it was a part of who he was. In rural Mississippi in the 1930s, in the late 20s and 30s, in the 40s, poverty knew no distinction along yes. color lines. Yes. And that's just a fact of history. Like, um, I love, I love that they were like, uh, and I'm, I will defer to you about this, but I love the fact that he was like, my favorite uh, comic book character was Captain Marvel Jr. That's true. And he was like, I always wanted to fly away to the Rock of Eternity. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's good shit. Yeah. Love me some Captain yeah. Marvel Jr. That, uh, because you see at the end of the movie, like, when he's giving, like, it actually shows the clip of Elvis giving the speech where he mm-hmm. says, "When, when I was a kid, 
like I would read the comic books and I was the hero of the comic book. Yeah. I was the I would watch a movie and I'd be the hero of the movie. In every dream I ever dreamed has come true a hundred times. Yeah. Like that is a very famous clip of Elvis because it's one of the rare moments where you saw Elvis accepting an award on stage for something. I wish he was alive so that like somebody could ask him what he thought about the Shazam movie. I do too and I bet he would have loved it. I bet he would because people hate on that movie. It's a good movie. You know what Elvis was alive to see? I don't know if he watched it or not. This would be a question I would... Richard Donner Superman. Yes. He was alive to see Richard Donner Superman, so I would like to ask, I don't know, maybe his cousin Billy or maybe Ginger Alden or Linda Thompson or somebody if they mm-hmm. know if he saw it. Um, We're going to make that interview happen. Uh, uh, but no, um, I love that. I love, like, one of my favorite moments in the movie is with, like, young Elvis and his friends, like, watching uh, the, the... I don't remember what the dude's name was, but they were watching the dude singing in the I shack. I think that was supposed to be Arthur Crudup. Nice. Uh, big boy credit. Nice. Um, I love that they're there, and then they see the revival tent over to the side, and I was sitting next to you thinking to myself, no, nah, it's too hot for anybody to be having revival these days. But they, like, they go over, and Elvis, like, sneaks in. And you can see that, like, because everybody's singing, and it's, like, it's like old-school, like, African-American gospel music. And you see that, like, it makes him feel a certain type of way. And his friends are like, well, what is it they call him? EP or whatever? Yeah. They're like, EP, we got to leave. And the pastor is like, no, he's fine. They're like, he's he child of touch by the spirit. He's like, he's with the spirit now. Yeah. And you just see him, like, letting the music, like, just take over him. Which, I guess, was the movie's way of saying, like, that was the origin of, like, all the, like, dance moves he does. Because he just feels the music. Yeah, so, yeah, that was the movie's Baz Luhrmann, very colorful way of representing something that was true of Elvis, which is he did live in a poor, a poor neighborhood with alongside a bunch of black people. Mm-hmm. He just he just did, and he did grow up hearing this music. And he went to a black church. He sang in a black choir. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of information out there about Elvis that people just don't know. I mean we talk about mythologizing things, it goes in the opposite direction, too. So, mm-hmm. like, what I always say to people who uh, feel that Elvis stole that music is you you just... You're just ignorant of what was going on in music at the time. You yeah. just don't understand it. Like, and to say that all Elvis did was listen to some black artists and then just stole their songs... It leaves out the fact that, like, his other major influence that the movie does not touch on that much is people like Hank Snow, who he was playing with. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he w- uh, and uh, people like um, uh, the, the the Blackwood Brothers, who were a white gospel quartet. Mm-hmm. Um, Elvis loved country western music, and he loved the goth- the gospel, and then like he loved the the like black gospel and the rhythm and blues, mm-hmm. and he grew up hearing this music. He grew up playing this, like, listening to this music, playing this music. The Presleys were a musical family. His father had a great voice. His mother had a great voice. They were dirt poor, so like what they would do is they would sing music together. Like that was one of the things the Presleys did when Elvis was growing up, and they played in churches together. Like, the whole family. Mm -hmm. They would go sing in church together. 
Um, I did not know he had a twin brother. Yes, so Elvis, uh, Elvis had a twin brother that was born first, named Jesse Guerin. Uh, Elvis, Elvis was Elvis Aaron. Jesse was Jesse Guerin, and Jess, Jesse passed away like almost immediately. Like it was, it was that night that he was born. I don't know mm-hmm. if he was quite stillborn, but he did die that night. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not something that like I mean they do reference it like, like his mom really did say things to him like. You'll have the strength of, of two people because Jesse will be with you. He'll be like a guardian angel or something. Like that was that was something the movie did get right. Um, and I don't go so far as to say that some people claim Elvis was haunted by like the missing twin syndrome his whole life. I don't really believe that because there's been a lot written about that subject actually. And most people say like certainly by the time he was an adult. Elvis wasn't just like talking about his twin brother all the time or anything, but I you you have to imagine that being a twin and you never got to meet your twin was something in the back of his mind. You do have to think that he had a little bit of imposter syndrome like why me? Mm-hmm. Why did I live and achieve all of this and my twin like died? Yeah. I, I think Elvis's story is fascinating. And, and so, like, my friends Billy and Trey, who I'm going to try to get them back on the podcast at some point soon, and I know that they're probably not going to be very big fans of the movie. They're, they're actually watching it in Vegas tonight with some people who knew Elvis mm-hmm. because they run in cooler circles than I. We really need to figure out how to meet some of those people. But I know that they're not going to like it because they know a lot of people that knew Elvis and, like, there's a lot this movie leaves out Mm. and these guys are completionists they want to know the complete story they want to know the whole story they want to know the true story and this movie does not what this movie okay this movie is a movie okay it is it's a musical biopic it's not it's not an a hundred percent accurate representation well, does, of history. It does what um, Bohemian Rhapsody did with Freddie Mercury and Queen. Absolutely, like, yeah. And and I feel like like at that, I understand why a lot of people are upset about like how they aren't one hundred percent factual, or they they have events take place with people or, that they didn't take place with, or they during switch a time the time period. They, they mix the time yeah. period a, but I'm a little like, bit. The or they problem, simplify things. Yes, the problem Multiple is, events become one event. If you have a movie that is 100% faithful to someone's life, you're going to have to watch like a movie that's as long as that person lived. You, you have to you have to cut things out. You have to simplify. You things. could have very easily made an Elvis trilogy. Mm-hmm. You could have done the 50s up until the point where he goes in the into the army. You could have done when he comes home from the army. And he makes in his Hollywood career, ending with the '68 comeback special, mm-hmm. and then you could have done the Vegas years and his later later years and his death, right? You could have done an Elvis trilogy. Each of those movies could have been three hours long. Yeah, that would be wonderful. I, I, as I'm sitting here thinking about it, as an Elvis fan, that would be the most exciting thing in the world to have an Elvis trilogy, mm-hmm. right? Um. Like Baz Luhrmann said, he did shoot over four four hours of footage, and I hope we see it. But like you said, if you're gonna tell the story, you can't you can't possibly cover everything. So what you've got to do is you got to be 
you've got to find your window into that story. Mm-hmm. What is my main plot going to be? Okay. Um. What am What am I following? Who are the people that I'm really going to focus on? And the window into the story that Baz Luhrmann chose to use was the relationship between Colonel Tom Parker and Elvis. Colonel Parker was Elvis's manager and business partner for 20 plus years. He knew Elvis, the artist, um, better than anyone else. They had a very unique working relationship. And that story had never really been told on screen before. Um, So right, wrong, or indifferent, there's a couple of things that you need to tell if you're going to tell the Elvis story. And Colonel Parker's one of them. Priscilla is another. Mm -hmm. And so the movie focuses on Colonel Parker and then later on Priscilla. And it does do that to the exclusion of other people who were important in Elvis's life. Um, the movie does sort of gloss over a lot of stuff. It, it, it introduces the Memphis Mafia in passing, but they're not distinct personalities or characters with lines. I assumed those um, people were the Memphis Mafia, but because with like the brief exception of when like Elvis is yelling at a dude I think named Jesse... No, it was Billy. That's it his was cousin Billy. Billy. Okay, so he's he's yelling at Billy. I'm like, if you hadn't said who he was, I wouldn't know who he was. And he's not on screen long enough so, for me to like figure out who and, he is as a person. And if you if you watch the movie again, you may catch this. But like when it's the part where you said you kind of zoned out a little bit. It's when they start going into the the second half of the movie mm-hmm. where you're seeing. Uh, the montage of Elvis's film career. Yeah, it was like in the '60s, like it became, you know, Elvis Presley goes to Hollywood, starring, and then like it showed all these people like in the tour bus with him, yeah. and those were his. And he was like starring his Memphis Mafia. That's what like, I assumed. It was, but like, I was like Joe and Billy it and Lamar by so fast, yeah. and none of those right. people. They're not giving anything in the movie to make me remember yeah. who they are. Yeah, because so, the movie is it, it, it is kind of told in three parts. I love all of the early stuff in the movie, um, from like because it opens with Colonel Parker in a fucking casino. Actually, it opens with him having like a heart attack. And so then I love like the whole story of like him finding Elvis, uh, leading up to like Elvis going off to... I, I love all the stuff from the beginning to Elvis joining the army, meeting Priscilla and all of that. The part where it loses me is when he comes back and they start talking about all of the movies and crap. And I'm like... Because I, yeah, the the way like, so the yeah. only part I liked about the movies, and it's specifically the one where they were like, "Oh yeah, you know, like he was doing these movies and Priscilla was in them with him." And I don't remember which movie it is, but it's like the super colorful movie. Um, and I like the fact that they intentionally made it look cinematography wise like that movie. Right. It's the one with like all of the like like bright loud colors, and they're like. He's walking through the house with Priscilla. I don't know what the movie it's is. It's the movie where it's the movie where he's singing a little less conversation. Yes. And that is that scene. In that movie, he he sings that song to the actress, I can't remember her name, that he's playing off of. Mm-hmm. Um and like there's the pool party going on and everything. Like that is the scene where okay. that's that's that that's where that song comes from. It comes right. from that movie. 
But yeah, like I that that part lost me, and the movie didn't really get me back up until like the whole he'll be singing uh, the fucking Frosty the Snowman or whatever it was. Yeah. So like, and he writes that like really great protest song. Okay, so let let me dive into some of this because all right. There are things that this movie actually went out of its way to do somewhat correctly. Because it does it does get the relationship between him and his mother, even down to the pet nicknames, correct. Mm-hmm. It 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 like it does include the Louisiana Hayride in his early band. I mean, it doesn't get they're not really fleshed out characters or anything, but it, but but Scotty and Bill are there, uh, Jimmy, Roger Snow, Hank Snow, they're all there. Uh, it does mention. Was it, Hank Snow played by Faramir of Gondor? Possibly. I'm gonna look that up. Possibly. Um, it. So like, it does. It does sort of summarize a lot of things that were truthful. Now, it something that an Elvis purist like my friends Billy and Trey would not like about this movie. It it definitely dramatizes. It was indeed David. Wow. It it dramatizes a lot of elements. So, like, it tells a fictionalized version of certain events. It takes two or three different events and places them into one moment in time. It does play around with the narrative a little bit of like when certain things happened and who was there and who wasn't there. Mm-hmm. And that's not really how that happened or this, that, or the other. <clears throat> but the broad strokes, the general spirit of what you were seeing in those early frames is what happened. Um, now, it does leave a lot of stuff out. <clears throat> And as an Elvis fan, a big Elvis fan, I noticed a crap ton of stuff that it glossed over and left out. But it did include a lot of things that I was hoping to see. So that first part of the movie I thought was really good. Um, uh, I have heard... I, I have heard from friends of mine that despite the official story being that it's Austin Butler singing, mm-hmm. that it's really not Austin Butler, that it was a, a another a, a local singer that they got to do it and then they just said it was Austin Butler and that guy got paid a bunch of money and then agreed to just let everybody think it was Austin Butler. Sometimes you gotta cash the check. I, I have no idea if that's true or not. I was told that by somebody who I don't think has ever told me anything false, but I, I don't know if that's true or not. But let's say for the sake of argument that it was Austin Butler singing, I think he did a really good job in the early sequences because the official story that we are told is that Austin Butler is singing in the 50s and 60s, like up up to the comeback special. Mm-hmm. When it's the comeback special, it becomes Elvis's voice. And of course, you can tell that. Um, if, you, if, if you're a big Elvis fan, you can tell when it's really Elvis's audio from the 68 comeback special. But... Um, where, 
What I don't like is how the movie really rushes the death of Gladys and then glosses over the army years and then does the, the montage through the 60s where it skips through like eight or nine years worth of story in like a minute and a half. I really don't like that because Savannah... Okay, so Savannah gets up to go to the bathroom uh, before Gladys died. And when she got back, we were in 1968 playing the comeback special. And mm -hmm. she was only gone a couple of minutes. So, like, when she went to the bathroom, he hadn't gone into the army yet. When she came back, he had gone to the army, met Priscilla, his mom died, he had had a whole Hollywood career of movies, he got married and had a kid. And that happened in, like, two minutes. Uh, so, I agree with you. I wasn't a huge fan of the way they montaged that. Also, later, when the colonel was like, My boy was not able to go overseas. However, I uh, orchestrated uh, Aloha from Hawaii. 1.5 billion people. Nothing like it before. Nothing like it since. Uh, let's keep it moving. Like, Aloha from Hawaii was a major, major thing that happened in the life of Elvis. I really would have liked to have seen some of Austin Butler in the eagle jumpsuit. Mm -hmm. That would have been dope. Um, and at the very end, I did not like how it... it after 1973, 1974, it basically reduced the last couple of years of his life to just the one scene in the car with Priscilla. So there's no Linda Thompson, who he dated for five years. There's no Ginger Alden, who he was engaged to at the time of his death. Even though you do see Ginger, like, in a car at one point, but it never says that's who it is. You don't... And we know Baz filmed this, because he said it, but you don't get to see Elvis going to meet Nixon, uh, which would have been dope. Um, there's just a lot. We don't... A lot of the... Like, Priscilla left him for Mike Stone, a karate instructor they both knew... And, like, in real life, Elvis was so drug-addled and upset. Like, and by drug, I mean prescription drug-addled. He never did street drugs. Like, he was so drug-addled and, like, upset that he ordered, like, Sonny and Red West of his Memphis Mafia to put a hit on Mike Stone. They should have left that in the movie. Um, also, the dudes that attacked him on stage, like, when they attack him in Vegas... They took a bunch of different threats in different moments that happened over the years and put them into one sequence there. But, like, Elvis, that actually in real life happened later. Mm -hmm. And Elvis thought that the guys were sent by Mike Stone because he was paranoid and on so many, like, pills. We did see um, paranoia in the pills and, like, because there was that one scene where he was in bed with the one random chick. And he was convinced there was somebody in there. He what was the line? He was like, nobody's gonna walk around saying they killed Elvis Presley. Because that's what that's what he told his Memphis Mafia. He was like, you guys have to promise me, like, if if somebody, he was like, he's like, you know, I have always lived my life in such a way that there there's no excuse for anybody wanting to kill me because I've never harmed anybody, and I've always tried to be a good person. And if somebody does kill me in front of all my fans, like. I want you to promise me, like, you will get to him and, like, just destroy him before the cops do. Because I don't want his, like, I don't want him to have a recognizable face. 
I don't want people to know the face of the man who killed Elvis Presley. And you're not going to let somebody brag about killing Elvis Presley. And, like, if you watch the interviews with his friends, they were all, all of them were like, and by God, we would have done it. They were like, wouldn't have been no police that could have saved that man. <laughs> Which, I'm not going to lie, bro. Like, if somebody killed you and, like, I could get to them before the cops, there wouldn't be no police that could arrest them. I appreciate that. The sentiment is a, like, the sentiment so, is shared. Uh, like, so... I... <laughs> Those are some of the things I didn't enjoy just because I am such a big fan and I know that there's so much more to that story. I also would have liked to have seen a little bit more about why he started taking drugs because he started taking sleeping pills really even before the army, but he started taking uppers when he was in the military and all of his guy friends started taking them with him. Because uh, they had a hard party and lifestyle. The, the 60s time period that they glossed over is actually a fascinating time in Elvis's life, even though he's not happy making the movies. Like, there's a lot of sex, drugs, and rock and roll going on there. Like, it's a fun time in Elvis's life. Um, and it would have made for an interesting story. And, and I understand why they chose not to tell it, because Elvis was not happy with those movies. So, in a retelling of his life, Elvis probably would have spent two minutes being like yeah I made a bunch of movies I don't like and then he would have wanted to talk about Vegas you mm-hmm. know what I mean like it does actually what I thought it did was it in the first half where it did so great with like his career and his early stuff mm-hmm. it shortchanged the personal life a little bit but when it got to the back end of the movie and it slowed down a little bit the Vegas stuff was pretty good but the emotional stuff was finally allowed yeah, to the breathe. St- the stuff that I liked the most about, like, the last, I guess, hour when of the movie. it showed you his personal life. Yeah, like, I love how, like, you see how Elvis and Priscilla are, like, really happy. And then how, like, the drug addiction kind of, like, is is her being like, yeah, no, I'm not going to stick around for this. Although I do love that they, and once again, I don't know how much of this is true or not. But I do love the fact that it shows that, like, even though she's leaving him, it's not that she doesn't love him. It's just right. that, like, it's not a good place for her and their daughter to be. And I love the scene towards the end of the movie where she's, like, after uh, this stint in Vegas is up, like, I've got a... There, there's a place you can go to get better. Uh, like, promise me you'll go. And he, he can't do it. And she's like, what is it? says like if you dream anything you can do anything you dream or whatever it is she says and he's like i got them all out of dreams all out of dreams i'm all done dreaming whatever that was sad but i love how like she gets out of the car and like his door is still open and she's walking back to the plane and he just mouths to her like i will always love you which was a nice nod to the reference that like he he tried to work out a deal with dolly parton to cover i will always love you and he was i love the fact that they referenced the fact that he was going to be in a star is born and when lisa marie not, not lisa marie uh Priscilla. Priscilla is like, what about A Star is Born? He's just like, Barbara and the Colonel. And they both just kind of like just chuckle. Now, an interesting historical tidbit there. Um, the real reason that Elvis didn't do A Star is Born is because after he took the... Um, after he sort of tip, like, somewhat agreed to the role, he saw like how big the role was and how much weight he was going to have to lose and the amount of time he was going to have to do it in because this would have been about a year, year and a half before he died. Mm-hmm. And, like, 
Elvis got like really nervous about it and he basically like told the colonel like I don't want to do it so the colonel like was like well I don't mind being the bad guy I'll just tell him that like if you don't get top billing on the movie we're not doing it and they knew that that would be like a deal breaker for Barbara Streisand mm. so I do it, wish it, that the, movie had happened just so I could compare that one to the Lady Gaga Bradley Cooper I, movie that movie, of course, the movie happened with Chris Christopherson, who won an Academy Award for that role that Elvis was supposed to play. Um, but like, true story, in that version, he doesn't commit suicide. He 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 starts drinking again, like after he gets upset, and then like he runs his car into a tree. Um, I hate both impacts, but uh, they're both very depressing. I do think Elvis would have been. Elvis might have won an Academy Award. He was great. He was great. I mean, he Elvis was a really great actor in those two movies that they reference that like didn't make any money mm-hmm. um, because he wasn't singing. And that's the great tragedy is like people wanted to hear him sing, so he didn't get a chance to do the acting that he wanted because they didn't make money. And but like it, you know, it was in keeping with the theme of the movie that the colonel is this great cartoon villain, right? That mm-hmm. of course the colonel screwed him out of his last shot. At. But people do it. That did get the spirit of that right, because it is true that a lot of people think that Elvis, that the last glimmer of excitement, sort of went out for him when when he turned away from A Star Is Born, and. I understand artistically why they didn't go this route, but I do wish that we had seen a little bit more of, like, the final day of his life. Um, like, because it actually showed the, the, like, infamous upstairs at Graceland in this movie. You actually saw his bedroom. You Mm. saw the bathroom that he died in, in the movie. And that is what it looks like. I mean there are pictures of it in existence and it does match those pictures. Um, I, I, I'm not saying that I wanted them to graphically depict him dying and being found on the floor and all that stuff. But again, in something that was a little bit more definitive, you might've got a little bit more of that. It's clear that Baz Luhrmann really loves Elvis. Um, um, and, he wanted this to be sort of a love letter to Elvis, not... He wanted Elvis to maintain his dignity in this movie, so I completely understand why he did not go a graphic route with the death of Elvis, but I was a little bit shocked that so little of that last time period was in it. Um, Now, I did love... Okay, I got well. I got one more thing I didn't like because then I want to talk about what I think was the best part of the movie. Mm-hmm. Okay, the the thing I didn't like about the movie, um, the most, is that it advertised itself as being a relation as as the story of Colonel Parker and Elvis, and then it completely shortchanged. Colonel Parker, like, on a <laughs> on a pretty bad in a pretty bad way, like so. It Tom Hanks, who I really in, think is a 
is a great actor, gives a good performance in the movie, but for some reason he made a choice to create an accent that makes no sense. Create an accent that doesn't make any sense. Yes, we find out, and the movie tries to stage it as a spoiler, we find out that, that the colonel wasn't really from America, he was from the Netherlands, and, you know, this, that, and the other, but, but Colonel Parker did not talk like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I read Jerry Schilling's book, Me and a Guy Named Elvis, or whatever it was called, and he says that, like, every once in a while when the colonel was mad, there would be this strange accent that would slip out and none of them knew where it came from, but it was very rare. And... You know, the, Tom Parker just didn't talk like that. Um, now, was he a world-class carny? Was he a snowman? Yes, he was. Um, did he make business deals that were incredibly shrewd? Yes. But he also made sure that Elvis was the highest-paid performer ever at the time. He made sure that Elvis owned Hollywood for eight years. He made sure that Elvis got paid a million dollars a movie and they were doing three pictures a year for eight years. This is something Colonel Parker did that the movie did not show. When Elvis went to was drafted, that could have been the end of Elvis's career, right? He's the hottest star, like, in the country, and then all of a sudden he's got to leave his... He had already made movies. He made Jailhouse Rock, Love Be Tender, and King Creole. And like... But he had already had huge hits, like Heartbreak Hotel and Hound Dog and all these songs. That probably should have been the end of his career. A lot of, of like, performers who had to go, like, overseas, they didn't recover their Mm -hmm. career. But what Colonel Parker did was he had Elvis sing a bunch of stuff... And then while Elvis was overseas, he released songs, like, incrementally and released Greatest Hits albums and released a Christmas album and did all this stuff so that people would still be hearing new Elvis material the whole two years. Um, It is true that Colonel Parker, if Elvis, like, Elvis would get pissed and he would fire Colonel Parker and Colonel Parker would come at him and say... Oh, of course, my boy. Uh, just be sure to pay me the $8 million you owe me. And if you don't have it, you can always borrow it from me because you know I love you. That's true. That That is true. That happened more than once. Um, it is true that uh, they had shouting matches and cussed at each other behind closed doors and, like, the Memphis Mafia thought they were going to kill each other. It's also true that Colonel Parker quit. There were several times Colonel Parker was like, well, screw you. I quit if you won't listen to me. But at the end of the day, Elvis and Colonel Parker had a relationship that worked for the two of them. And the biggest dis... It it is true when he says, without me, there would be no Elvis Presley. I do believe, based on everything I've ever learned about Elvis, that that's true because it was Colonel Parker who paid an, an insane sum to get Elvis's contract and take Elvis on the national stage. It was Colonel Parker that got him on all of the like the Ed Sullivan show 
and all of those big time gigs and got him on RCA. It was his contacts. It was his business dealings that got him into Hollywood. And he also did another very smart thing. He said, after this initial round of shows, if you want to see Elvis, you got to pay to see him. He's not doing Johnny Carson. He's not doing Saturday Night Live. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, he didn't do talk shows. He didn't do interviews. And the reason for it is because the colonel said, no, 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 no. You want to see my boy? You're going to pay to see my boy. It was very shrewd business. And is it true that old Andres had gambling debts and that he probably booked more shows because he needed to pay out those gambling debts. It is not out of the question that that's true. Okay? It's at least possible. We know he had gambling debts. Who of us don't don't have gambling We know he had gambling debts. Okay? The question is, how, how much of what he did for Elvis in the 70s was really because he was just trying to like pay his debts behind Elvis's back. I don't think that that case has ever been firmly established. So I think that um, that was a little iffy. But it is true that as soon as Elvis opened in Vegas, he did draw up the $5 million contract, a million dollars a year for five years. Uh, that is absolutely true that he did that right there on the tablecloth. Um, and it is true that he said, this is what my boy will expect, now what are you going to pay me? But the man was a brilliant snowman, right? He was good at making snow, and he was good at snowing other people. I'm not saying um, that he was a bad businessman. I'm just saying that if it was me, and I found out you've been doing some fuckery behind my back, and I fire you, and then you respond with, that's fine, me boy, but... uh." I'll be expecting me eight million, and if you can't have it now, I'll let you borrow it. Oh, well, you can borrow from me, my boy. I personally, <laughs> I personally would have had my people take him. And we would have gone into his room in the International Hotel, and I'd have opened the window, and I'd have thrown him out of the window. Because who's going to believe that I, Sir Elvis Presley, had a man thrown out of a window? Only the assassin that uh, your people contacted about potentially killing Mike Stone. Exactly. Like, well, <laughs> but we could deep six him too. Exactly. Yeah. So another thing I don't like. It was the sixties and seventies. Uh, there are no paper trails back then. It definitely also like. It definitely also cut out like. Elvis was one of the first mainstream American celebrities who embraced karate. Mm-hmm. And he, he learned karate when he was in Germany, in the army. He brought karate back here and had the dojo. Like, Billy like helped start like the dojo, the, the, the Tiger Man dojo that you can go to Memphis or whatever. That dojo was where Elvis practiced, like, karate. They did karate lessons and stuff. And Elvis was one of the first Americans to, like, popularize karate before the rise of martial arts films. And that's a part of his story that never gets told. Um, and it wasn't really... I mean, you saw him doing some karate moves on stage or whatever, but like... Bro, he came that one dude dead in the chest. That is a true story that did happen. 
in the context that you saw it, that's not how it happened. But some dude did jump on stage and he did get karate kicked off. Um, Elvis broke up muggings with karate and it was witnessed by a lot of people. Um, it, it didn't show any of like... It, it didn't show any of Elvis's health problems because the reason that Elvis took so many pills is because Elvis had like genetic problems like everyone on his mother's side of the family died in their 40s from heart failure and shit and it didn't even tap into that there's a wonderful book by an, an author named Sally Hodel called Destined to Die Young that explains that Elvis's health problems were really the reason he died so early mm-hmm. and that the drugs exacerbated them but they were originally meant to help and then Elvis just got carried away with it um it didn't even touch on any of that but really it didn't it showed it it did show some of the like pill usage but it really didn't even do a lot of that um it kind of glossed through that too so that was kind of strange but so look there's a lot that i'm leaving out of this review just like the movie leaves a lot out because i could talk about it a lot longer but what i will say let me talk about the things that i thought were great okay The scene where you see Elvis singing That's Alright Mama in Vegas and it like cuts to him it like you it split screens or tri screens and you see him singing it like in the fifties, like in the recording studio, on stage in Vegas, and you see Arthur Crudup like mm. like in the in that shack when Elvis was a kid and they're all three singing it together. Mm. I thought that was great. The very end of the movie when like that performance where Elvis sings Unchained Melody at the piano just about six weeks before he died, that was June of 77, he died in August of 77 like the way that they perfectly blended Austin Butler and transitioned it into the actual footage of Elvis and you saw Elvis giving the speech and like the moment that actually made me shed a tear right at the end of the movie I thought that was brilliant, I thought that was a great way to end the movie but the number one thing that this movie nailed, for all that it left out, for all that it switched up, got confused, got wrong, overplayed, for all the head-scratching stuff like Tom Hanks' accent, uh, for how it, it just glossed over and, and just forgot about things, the, the thing that, like... really is just like that I'll never forget about Baz Luhrmann's Elvis is Austin Butler. Mm-hmm. I think Austin Butler, and if you're reading, listening to any reviews about this movie, Austin Butler, it's it's easily an Oscar nomination. Okay, We can't say he's going to win. We don't know what's going to come out. We don't know what kind of work other people are going to put in this year. But it is easily an Oscar nomination worthy performance um I have listened to Elvis watched Elvis my whole life and I told you when we left the theater I kind of forgot I was watching an actor play Elvis you know what I mean like it's that good and it could have just been a cheap Elvis they call him Elvis tribute artist now they don't that's the correct term you don't say Elvis impersonator anymore it could have been an Elvis tribute artist act. You know what I mean? 
But instead, it was a fully realized human being. And it was complicated. It was a layered performance. He was... I thought he was brilliant. And I think that he really did his homework in a way that you don't see often. I would I would say he was absolutely he was absolutely as good as Elvis as Rami Malek was as Freddie Mercury. Mm. And Rami Malek won an Oscar. And I would say Austin Butler was just as good. Plus Austin Butler again, at least according to every official line that we have Austin Butler saying in this movie. Um, like, I would also compare it to how good Taron Egerton was as uh, Elton John. Yeah. And Rocket Man. to see that movie. Excellent movie. Um, so, like, I really, really enjoyed this movie. Mm-hmm. As an Elvis fan who knows how much it left out, what I have to do is take this for what it is. This is a movie that was meant to give a summary of Elvis's life and career to people like yourself and to people like younger people who don't know a whole lot about Elvis's career. They might know the name. They don't really know anything else. They might know that he, that he, you know, like the jumpsuits and he died early from drug use or something. But this is intended to show the world that this was a person mm-hmm. and to remind the world of like what I would consider to be the pure joy of what Elvis represented. Because Elvis, as you said, it's sad. The story of Elvis is a tragedy. It just is. It's a tragic story. But not before but not before being a very inspiring and like amazing story first. Right. Like, and he represents both sides of the American dream. Right? Because he represents that coming from being dirt poor, coming from nothing, to become the world's first superstar. Because that's really what Elvis was. Like, he's Elvis is kind of the Superman of, like, recording artists, I guess. Like, there was no one that big before, and I would say the only person who was arguably that big since has been Michael Jackson. And I feel like it, at the same time, he did devolve into the ugly side of the American dream. Too much excess. You know what I mean? You can't sleep. All you're doing is working. You're pushing yourself way too hard. So you're taking uppers and downers and sidewinders. You know what I mean? Like Theo Vaughn jokes about. Like, and the lifestyle is not conducive. I did not really like how they they decided to just gloss over his infidelity and just make that like a throwaway reason or throwaway line or whatever. Like, yeah, yeah, I know about all the girls you're sleeping with. That's not why I'm leaving you. In real life, it was because he was leaving Priscilla and Lisa Marie at home all the time while he was touring and he was sleeping with other women. Like, that's why she left him. And she left him for another man. Like, it's... So the movie did kind of, like, 
make it look like Elvis was just out of control on drugs and then Priscilla left him for that even though she didn't care about she understood but I the line where she says what I don't he's like I've given you everything you could possibly want and she's like I wanted a husband that is the, the truest moment in that sequence from everything I've ever read about Elvis supposedly he really did say that line like when I'm 50 and you're 40 we'll be back together so like I can see the spirit of people saying, like, look, he never stopped loving her. Um, you know. But, yeah, look, there's there's a lot I can say about the movie. Overall, if I'm rating this movie, I'm going to give this movie a B plus Because I think that it leaves out a little too much. And kind of, like, makes a couple of weird choices that I don't like, don't care for. Mm-hmm. To give it an A. But I'm going to give it a strong B plus because of Austin Austin Butler, and just for it does its job correctly. You said it yourself. You said after watching the movie, you kind of understand it. You kind of get it. If it makes somebody think to themselves, I don't know if I'll ever quite listen to an Elvis song or look at an Elvis whatever quite the same way again because I feel like I know a little bit more about him now like I appreciate him a little more now if it does that for anybody then for me the movie was a success at what it set out to do you don't play a game that you're not you don't win a game you didn't try to play Mm -hmm. this wasn't the like let me show you the definitive 400 hour every detail of Elvis's life okay so if this movie had set out to be like I'm gonna make everybody an Elvis fan I'd be like Right, because like you're just not. But like I said, like I, I I understand it now. I think I gave yeah um I gave it like an eight out of ten, which I feel like is impressive considering like I said I'm not a huge Elvis fan. So for me to actually be entertained and be like this is a good movie, and if the four hour cut was released, I might watch it. I feel like you did your job. Be proud. Give yourself a pat on the back. Yeah, and. I I would definitely welcome that. I hope it does come out on Blu-ray or maybe is released on HBO. But uh, also, Hollywood, if you ever do do another Elvis story, just take my advice. Do a trilogy about all three decades. That would be wonderful. All right. So, uh, when next we meet, we're going to be talking about the conclusion to Stranger Things season four because that comes out in like a week I can't wait to talk about episodes eight and nine you're not wrong because that's a week from tomorrow so uh, when next we meet make sure you have mm. seen all of Stranger Things uh, volume four one through seven and you've listened to our podcast from a few weeks ago and uh, then uh, come back and uh, watch those other two and give us a listen so uh, you can find us online. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Logan and Jake Take, uh, official Facebook group, and we're LNJ Pod uh, everywhere else. I think you can send feedback to LNJPod at gmail.com. And um, if you would like to become a supporter, you can do so by clicking the link in the show notes that says support this podcast. For all of our current supporters, thank you. Please continue to like, comment, rate, share, subscribe, whatever you need to do on your platforms. 
Uh, if you're on Apple, please leave us a five star uh, review. Uh, yeah. We also would like you can leave reviews on Spotify as well. Yes. Um, and thanks for listening. Go watch Elvis. Catch up on Obi Wan. Um, stay out of this heat. Stay out of the heat. Yeah, yeah. Going to the movies is a good way to beat the heat. It's true. And it is a long two a, two and a half hour movie, so they can just you know go right before the heat of the day and then miss the heat of the day with a. With Be a kind movie. to your movie theater employees. They are hardworking individuals. And if you were in that one town that still has a blockbuster, be kind, rewind. I think that officially got closed. Oh, that hurts my heart. I know. It's the last vestige of the old world. And we will go out the way the movie goes out. <clears throat> oh, my love. We don't have My darling. I've hungered for your touch. Yeah, we don't have the rights. I'll get sued by at least three different artists who did that. Man, I'm going to let you know when they come for you, you fight in that battle on your own, big dog. <laughs> All right. Have a good week, everyone. Make reasonable choices. <laughs> or don't. And if you don't, send us the email about the stores. I know this. What the f- <laughs> Oh, fam. <laughs> Obi-Wan.